Today we're going to talk about the power of God's Word and how to walk in divine health. We'll come to the Lord. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we worship you and we praise you and thank you for these beautiful, beautiful things that you've given us in your Word, for these promises that you've given us. We thank you that you came to this earth to destroy the works of the devil and you did it. We thank you that you gave us this book full of magnificent promises that if we can believe you, nothing shall be impossible with us in your name. Lord, help us today to learn more about you and what you've done for us as our Savior, our Healer, our Deliverer. Help us to grab a hold of your word. Help us to stand on your word. Help us to believe it with no doubt in our heart. And then help us to confess it. And help us to walk holy before you every day of our life, realizing that we can walk holy and we will walk holy. And when we do that, we will give no place to the devil. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for your word. And then, Lord, we really praise you and thank you that all these promises to us, your children, are yes and amen every time. So we don't have to beg and plead for you to do something. All we've got to do is step into the world of faith and it's ours. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I praise you and thank you. Well, today we need to talk about why we are sick and what we have to do to get well. The very first thing I want you to realize is that the Word of God has given us all of the requirements of what we're supposed to do to be able to walk in divine health. That's where we as Christians are supposed to be walking. Unfortunately, I didn't know that most of my life. I was a traditional denominational Christian. And I had not taken enough time to read and study God's Word, so I didn't know the promises, so I didn't know what I could do. Anyway, yesterday, as I was getting ready to leave, uh, I got up uh, early uh, and went down to the hotel lobby. And uh, I was going to walk in there. They had a little continental breakfast. We'd never been up that time of morning, uh, you know, because usually it's 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning before Cheryl and I get in bed. We're always either praying, talking about the Lord or something or up all night ministering to people. But that night, uh, we got in bed about 2 or 3, because I knew I had to get up at 8.30, so I had to get out of there at 9.30, go catch an airplane to come home. So anyway, I walked down into the lobby, that little breakfast area there, and I walked in, and I was standing there looking at the different kinds of juice, and a lady walked up, and she said, Haven't I seen you on television? I said, Well, ma'am, it's very possible. I said, I'm a preacher, and I'm on GLC four times a week, and she said, I knew it. I knew you were the same guy. She said, your teaching has so blown me away. She said, I love it. said, I try to watch you as many times a week as I can because I can't learn everything you say in one time. So she I'm trying to listen to it, and she said, I'm going to start recording all those shows so I can listen to them over and over. I said, good. And about that time, another little girl, much younger woman, this woman looked like she was probably 35 or 40, but probably a 20-year-old young lady walked in. And she said, hey, this is that preacher I've been telling you about on GLC. And so I looked at her. I said, are you a Christian young lady? And she said, well, yes, I am. I said, well, where do you go to church? She said, well, I don't go very much. I said, oh, so you're one of them disobedient Christians. And she said, well, you know, after all, you know, we're just sinners saved by grace. We sin all day, every day, you know. I said, young lady, you speak for yourself. I said, not me. She said, you know you can't go through the day without sinning. I said, ma'am, you're calling God a liar. And the king don't like that. She said, you mean you think you can go through the day without sinning? I said, absolutely. 
I said, I'm definitely not going to confess anything else after Jesus told me I am to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. And then he said, if I, I have the right to give my members or yield my members to whoever I want to, and if I yield them to Satan, which is sin, then it will bring forth death to my flesh. But if I yield my members to righteousness and holiness, then eternal life and no sickness and no disease. I said, so ma'am, no, I don't sin. I said, I strive every day of my life to walk holy and perfect before God. Now see, that's the way the church is supposed to be. Just like Paul. Paul looked at every one of us right now and he said, we are dead to sin. And if we're dead to sin, how in therein can we live in sin any longer? Can Should we sin that grace should abound? He said, God forbid. We should never sin as Christians. Because see what he's trying to tell us. If we sin, that process that the devil knows so well, when Jesus clearly told us, he said, if you sin, your sin will bring forth death. So let's say you go out and commit a sin. Now what kind of a sin? Any kind of a sin. When you commit any kind of a sin, it opens the door to a demonic spirit to begin a death process in your flesh. Now then, it depends on what kind of sin it is as to how quick the death process will finish itself. Some sins will shorten your life far quicker than others. Let's just say, let's take a sin of smoking cigarettes. Uh, One cigarette won't kill you, will it? Four or five a day won't kill you. Twenty or thirty a day will most definitely begin a death process in your flesh. And I think about the other day when I was listening to Focus on the Family, when Dr. James Dodson says, Ladies, y'all have come a long way. He said, I saw a billboard the other day said, Women, ladies have come a long way. He said, You have. He said, for the first time in history, the women 30 years old have exceeded men in lung cancer because of smoking. Now see, did Jesus tell us that sin would bring forth death? I mean, you think about, you don't think about that being sin. But when you read on the package of cigarettes, what does it say on there? It will cause cancer, lung cancer, right? I mean, they even put a warning on there. Are we dense? I mean, as Christians, now the world, I can understand the world, but as Christians, I think that's about as dense as we can get. And it's unfortunate. You know, I was praying for a man the other day. He was coughing and hacking, and he came up to be prayed for, and I looked over, he's got a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. I said, do you want to be delivered for those things, or yes or no? He said, I enjoy them. I said, okay, forget it. You don't need me to pray for you. Just go ahead and keep doing what you're doing. Die early. It's your choice. Don't come and ask me to pray for you. I mean, if you ain't ready and willing to get delivered from that nonsense, if you want to keep on smoking, keep on drinking, what's it going to do to you? You, you, you start the death process. Somebody says, well, just have one drink with me. You know, okay, one drink. Is that going to kill you? Probably not. But I have seen people take two or three drinks, and they've never drank. And that night before they got home, they get killed in a car wreck. 
it brought forth death, didn't it? See? And I've seen other people that never took a drink in their life, like my sister, 21 years old, and her, one of her best friends, 23 years old. As far as I know, neither one of those, those two girls had ever even, ever even smelled alcohol. But many years ago, my sister and her girlfriend had been out to a drive-in movie. And they were on the way home that night, about 9.30 or 10 o'clock. And a carload of drunks passed a truck coming up a hill. And when they topped the hill, there come my sister and the other girl. Well, they pulled off to the right into the bar ditch. Well, the drunks pulled off to the left into the bar ditch. And he had headlights to headlights at 50 miles an hour. The drunks, five drunk people in that car, one of them got a broke ankle. My sister went under the dash and through the steering wheel and over the, and through the windshield and cut her all to pieces at 21, not quite 22, and killed her right there. And the other young woman, 23, drove the steering wheel right through her breast and killed her instantly. Both girls died that night. Neither one of them had ever had any alcohol. But the sin of that killed two precious young women. Isn't that amazing? Sin. That's the problem. Guess who's behind all that? The devil. Yeah, the devil. He's behind all that. He's doing a good job. So he's, he come, he's, the, he's the problem. The devil is the problem. He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Now then, there's many types of sins that will bring forth an instant death. And some of those are some of these psychedelic drugs and things today. You know, that the devil will tell you, you know, just have one. You know, and no big deal. And there is drugs out there today that people try at one time and they're hooked. And then you, without the help of God, you can't never get off of them. And those things bring forth an early death. And not only does it bring forth an early death, but with those kind of things running around in their body, then they go out and get promiscuous and live a perverse lifestyle and get into living some kind of a wild sex life with somebody or whatever. And then they get pregnant. And then they bring a little child into the world, totally deformed and crippled and handicapped and all kinds of wrong. What caused all that? Judgments upon this nation. First 50 years of the last century, two hurricanes. Two in 50 years. Wow. What have we had in the last eight or ten weeks? At least four, six. Elaine's husband is down there right now. Helping, doing work all down there where Florida is destroyed. I mean, it's a war zone down there. I mean, he's down there with us. With who knows how many people are down there that are doing things. Just like, <coughs> I don't even know who it was told me about this, but somebody, I guess, watching the news. No, I'll take it back. It was one of the men that went down there. That's who it was that was telling us about this. He said one of the big Walmart... Uh, frozen food banks down there, had a 300,000-foot warehouse. That's big. 300,000 square feet. Frozen food warehouse. And that one of those uh, hurricanes blew down one wall in that thing. And although nothing in it thawed out, water blowed in and got on it. And because the water got on it, they couldn't sell it so there was a, a man, I think he had eight or ten or twelve huge dump trucks, and they were hauling off all of that frozen food. You know how many million dollars that probably was? There is no telling. You think America is not under a judgment? 
But sin is everywhere. And not, not only is sin in the world, but sin's in the church. The church I just came from had five young teenage couples living together out of wedlock that professed to be Christians. I don't understand what the church don't understand about sex sin. God said He hates it. So I don't understand how we can be preachers in church and, and promote that kind of stuff. Because, but what it does, it brings forth death. And then when you find them people, when they have children, and those children are born handicapped or mentally retarded or whatever, and you want to know, goodness, why me, Lord? It's sin. That's what it is. It's sin that causes these things. See, God said in His Word, and He was clear. He said, it started way back under the law. He said, if you will be obedient and do everything I tell you to do in my Word, I'll take all sickness and disease away from you. You'll have none. None. And he said, I will not only take sickness and disease away from you where you'll have none. I'll bless you and your children. And everything you put your hands to, I will bless it. Now, everybody wants to live there, but we're not willing to pay the price. But guess what? God's no respecter of persons. He don't love me anymore than does Elaine or you or you. It's the same. He treats every one of us exactly the same, doesn't he? And guess who knows me and you better than anybody in the world? The king knows me and you both exactly what we do, right? He knows exactly everything. So, he knows everything we say, everything we do, and everything. So, what the king's trying to tell us, if we repent of our sins and change our ways, he said, then I'll heal you. I'll heal you. And he promises it every time. But when we have hardness of heart... When we have hardness of heart, it seems like it's so hard for us to repent. I mean, but the Lord is so forgiving. You think the little woman that had been living in adultery, that was caught in adultery. And they brought her there and said, the Lord, the law says we're to stone this woman. And the Lord said, okay, that's what it says. But he said, no problem. The first one of you... That has no sin in your life, you throw the first stone at her. Go ahead. And then he started riding in the dirt. And I'm going to tell you, I believe to this day, starting from the older to the younger, he started writing them guys' names down in the sand. John Doe, Thurman Scrivener. He's writing her names down. And probably when he wrote her name down, he wrote down only four or five of their sins out beside. You know. I mean, he knows everything. So when a guy looked over and he said, that's my name. Oh, and that's two women I slept with ten years ago. Oh, my land. He knows that. He said, that's okay. Go, go ahead and cast a stone at her. Go ahead and kill her. And so they all left because they all knew they were guilty of something. And so he forgave her. But what did he tell her to do? Go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. And then when the man had been sick 38 years, when he walked in and forgave him and said, get up and walk. And the man was like us. He said, but Lord. I mean, Jesus, he didn't answer the question at all. See, that's what we do wrong. The Lord tells us, I forgive you. I healed you. He said, I get up and walk. And the man said, but Lord, when the angel comes by to stir the water, somebody else always gets in first. The Lord said, that's not what I ask you. I told you to take up your bed and walk. You're healed. See, he's telling us the same thing today. 
He said, when you repent of your sins, then take up your bed and go do something you couldn't do. I forgive you. But you know what we do? We seem not to believe. You know, I mean, I think of the people that I have prayed for, that I've built their faith at these healing schools, and sometimes one healing school, and they'll come and they'll get healed. And then the next person will come for four or five. And finally, after four or five, and they're listening to tapes, listening to tapes, and finally the Lord gets through with them, just like the guy here a while back, he came out to my house, and I, I've probably spent four hours with him and his wife teaching them the Word. I've, I've done that so many times. He had a really high blood pressure problem. I prayed for him, did everything I knew to do, and this guy was trying his best to believe, but he could not get it. So I just I told him, let me give you an armload of tapes, and you continue to believe God and just feed yourself the Word. And I said, diligently say in the Word. Well, for several weeks, he's going along listening to the Word. And then one day he says, I'm driving along there, and you make a statement on that tape. And I said, that's exactly what the Word of God says. He said, that's it, Lord. It's over. Reaches over, gets his blood pressure pills, and throws them out in the barnage as hard as he can throw them. He said, I ain't never going to take another one. I'm healed, Jesus. It's done because you made me the promise. Six weeks later, he had a doctor's appointment. He went ahead and went in. Doctor checked him. He said, Andy... He said, the blood pressure medication I gave you last time is working better today than it's ever. Your blood pressure for the first time is perfect. He said, the medicine, the doses I give you, don't change it. He said, I ain't had a pill in six weeks. He said, what? He said, I finally realized in my spirit that Jesus was my healer. And he said, six weeks ago, I threw them things out the window and I ain't had one in six weeks. <laughs> Now, why does it take us so long to get a hold of God's Word? Because we're human beings, that's why. So when I say that to you, don't feel bad. It only took me about 20 years to get there. I mean, I was really a hard-headed case. I was a Southern Baptist. You know, so by being a Southern Baptist, I couldn't believe these promises. I mean, it's so devastating to me to think that I've had this book in my hand all these years, and it tells me exactly what to do. And I do not believe this book. I'm trying my best to believe this book today. I'm trying to believe this book. But I have never met but one that really believed this book. And he wrote it. He's the only one that I've met that truly believes all of it. And it works every time. But we're trying. Now then, in Matthew chapter 14... Verse 31, we're going to talk a little bit about faith to start off today. What you can do with faith. In Matthew 14, 31, uh, that is, in Matthew chapter 14, that's the story about Peter walking on the water. Now, in Matthew 14, if you'll read along there with me, I'll just kind of paraphrase this, but starting with about verse 14 or 15, you're going to find out that they're out on the middle of the sea in a storm. Now then, first of all, you've got to realize that storm that's out there didn't come from God the Father. It came from the God of this world, which is Satan. Because Jesus was never in disharmony with his Father. So when he rebuked winds and waves and things, he was not rebuking his Heavenly Father. He was rebuking the God of this world. Now the hurricanes down there 
in the southeastern part of the world for Florida and all down Haiti and Cuba and, and, and all the Caribbean and all that stuff, all, that, all those storms have come from the enemy. Now, I opened a letter last night, and I, I guess my staff was too busy to tell me about this or forgot it. But one of the ladies wrote me a letter. She's on our uh, uh, monthly uh, uh, tape list. And she sent me a letter, and she said, I sure hope that your staff told you about my three miracles with the hurricane. And I thought, well, I guess they forgot it. I don't know which one got it. we got so many people out there reading emails and everything else. But I don't know what happened. But Miss Mueller, she's an elderly woman. And she found us a, a couple of years ago. And that woman, she wanted us to send her tapes. We send her tapes all the time. And when she found out we have a monthly tape list, she called and won't be put on the monthly tape list. So we send her tapes all the time. And obviously, she had three miracles of some kind during three hurricanes that hit her place. Now then, if you are a Christian walking in obedience to God's Word... You don't have to suffer this wrath. You can overcome this in the name of Jesus. Now, only if you know this. In other words, I remember a few years ago when the great big storm, uh, that one of the first big ones that hit uh, Florida and just tore it all up, and then it came on across the Gulf of Mexico and come right back into New Orleans and just did the same kind of devastating stuff to New Orleans. It just wiped out a big portion of the city. Well... That's been at least maybe 15 years ago, maybe longer. But there was a young man by the name of Bruce that worked for me down there. I was a regional manager uh, over engineering, and he was one of the guys that worked for me down there. And he was a Presbyterian. Now, I talked to him about Jesus. He loved Jesus, but he didn't know much about him, like I used to be. When I heard that hurricane was coming in there, I told him, called him and said, Bruce, we're going to pray over your place, and I'm going to ask the Father in Jesus' name to send angels to protect your house, your family, and everything, because you and your family are walking in obedience to God's Word. You're going to church, you're tithing, you're doing everything the Lord requires of you. So I said, the devil has no claim to you, but I said, if you don't know that, he'll tear up your house in this storm. So we prayed over the telephone, asked the Lord to send angels to watch over and protect his place, and then a few days later, the storm came, and when they got some of the landlines back up and everything where you could communicate, he called me and said, Thurman, this is absolutely awesome. I said, what happened? He said, the house in front of me, there is nothing left but a concrete slab. The, all the walls of the house, everything, totally down. He said, the one right behind me, there's only about a third of it left standing on the slab. I said, what about yours? He said, I never lost a shingle. Not a shingle. He said, my house is totally intact. He said, this is awesome. I said, sir, I told you what the Lord would do for you if you stand on His Word by faith and you're walking in obedience. Now see, the Lord told us to study His Word, didn't He? I mean, He told us what He would do for us. He told us He would protect us. But if we don't know it, then you can't. Receive something by faith that you don't know is yours. And that's where we're living in the church today. We don't know these things belong to us. As God's obedient children, He is not going to let the devil beat up on you 
unless you have not studied his word and don't know. When you don't know, then the devil beats up on you. It's just like lots of things in the world. If you don't know certain things, you get beat up on by the world. And they'll take advantage of you in all kinds of ways. It's kind of like me here a while back. I came up to a, up in Louisville, I came up and there was a improved road there. Had an improved shoulder and then one lane. And there was two lights. And I pulled up and there was a guy sitting in the main lane with a turn signal to turn left. So I pulled up on the shoulder beside him. And there was a lady police officer sitting right over there at a service station. I looked over there and saw her, but I think I'm totally within the confines of the law. The light changed. He turns left and I pull on across and pull in the left lane and all of a sudden, I hear something, and I look back, and a police officer, her, behind me with her lights and her siren on. So I pull off the side of the road. She pulls up behind me, gets out, and comes up here, and she said, Can I see your driver's license and your insurance? I said, Ma'am, I'd like to know for what reason did you stop me first. She said, I want to see your driver's license and insurance. I said, Ma'am, I'm a citizen, and you're going to tell me why you stopped me before I show you my driver's license and my insurance because you don't have the right to stop me without a legal cause. She said, Okay, you made an illegal procedure at the light. I said, I don't think so. She said, Yes, you did. I said, Okay. So I gave her my driver's license and my insurance. She wrote me a ticket. I went immediately down to the city hall and said, I want to see the handbook for today's requirements in the state of Texas to see if they've changed since I took my driving tests. That's been a long time ago. <laughs> I get the book out and I start turning over to these sections. And when I turn over, I read it. It hadn't changed. I said, oh, okay. She gave me a ticket illegally. So I went in. I thought, well, no big deal. I mean, <clears throat> I'd have to take a day off to go to court. That would cost me money. So I'll just pay the ticket. So I go in and I say, how much is the ticket? When they told me, I said, forget it. I'll take the day off. <laughs> We're going to go to court. So I go to court. Now, when I get there, I am the very first one they call. How do you plead? I said, absolutely not guilty. On what grounds? I said, handbook so-and-so, page so-and-so, right here it's written. And I read it to the judge. He said, sir, I'm the judge in this city, and I know the law, and the, what you did was an illegal procedure. And I said, well, sir, this says Texas handbook of laws. And since I have a Texas handbook and on this page it says what I did is legal, then I don't care what you say. What this book says supersedes what you say. He said, you speak one more word, I'll have you in contempt of court. I stood there, called his attorney up. He said, we have a law. You go find it and you get with him and you show him what he did is wrong. I looked at him. And I said, can I say one thing? He said, yes. I said, sir, there's only one Texas handbook. And I've got it. 
And I said, I don't care what you find. If it's contrary to this one, I'm still going to court with you because this book says. And he said, go find it. So I went out and said, after a half hour. He came out there in a half hour and he said, I can't find it. I said, I knew you weren't going to find it. And I went back in there and he says, unfortunately, we couldn't find a different law. So he said, I'm going to have to release you. But he said, there's 30 other people in here today and every one of them's in here for the same problem. And so they had to release them all. Because I had the right regulations. And then I told him, I said, Sir, if you don't want people passing on the improved shoulder, since the Texas handbook says we can and that's legal, why don't you have the state of Texas put some signs up in your city that says no passing on shoulder from here to light? He said, have you ever tried to get... A sign put up on a Texas highway? I said, no, sir. I've never had any reason to do that. He said, you do not realize the red tape that's involved. I said, okay, no problem. But as long as you drop my case, I, I forget it. And so he did. And I walked out and I thought, well, I know where the Texas Highway Department is. And I'll just drive on down there. It's only a few miles. And I walked in and I said, I want to talk to the head man in here. And the lady said, that's him right back yonder in that office. I walked back there and I said, sir, my name's Thurman Scrivener and I have a unique request. Up in a certain city here in Texas, I said, I would like to see what I'd have to do to get some signs put up on the side of the road at, from a certain place to a certain intersection that says no passing from here to intersection. He said, is that judge over there in Flyer Mound still giving them tickets to them people? <laughs> I said, he tried to give me one, but I said, I read the Texas handbook, and it says he couldn't do that, so he didn't do it, and he told me it was difficult, impossible to get a sign put up. He said, no problem, I'll take care of it. I said, do I have to sign anything? He said, no problem, I'll take care of it. So I walked back out. Next Friday afternoon, I drove down that road, and there was three signs about 100 yards apart says, no passing on improved shoulder from here to light. And I thought, boy, was that tough. <laughs> now then, what if I hadn't known the law? I would have paid a ticket and then 30 people behind me. And what it made me wonder is how many people in Flower Mound paid that ticket before I got there. That's the way the devil is with you. The devil comes to you to put sickness and disease upon you and he may have no legal claim to you. If you're walking in obedience to God's Word, you're going to church, you're tithing, you're reading the Word, you're worshiping and praising the King, you're not living in no kind of sin, and He puts a symptom upon you, He has no legal claim to do that. But He's waiting to see what you're going to say about it. And since we've been so steeped in the ways of the world, we have no idea that's a devil coming upon us. And so what do we do? We just buy into his life. I've been there and done that. Many times over I've been there and done that. And it makes absolutely no sense to the rational thinking mind that your sickness is coming from an outside invisible source called Satan and his demons. But that's where it's coming from. 
There is no sickness and disease in this world that does not come to you from the devil. Everything is the devil. Satan and his host of demons. Every pain, every symptom, everything comes from the devil. Acts 10.38 Jesus, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, one about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil. Sickness and disease come from the devil. Now then somebody says, I don't believe that. Okay, if you don't believe that, you might as well go ahead and leave now because you're not going to be able to drive out this sickness and disease. You're going to have to believe what I teach you out of God's Word. The Word of God tells us what brings sickness and disease. It tells us who it comes from. And Jesus tells us exactly what to do. And it takes faith to get it done. In Matthew chapter 14... Jesus is showing us a spiritual law, a spiritual principle that will work in the invisible realm and it will work for you every time if you have faith. If He speaks a word to you to tell you something, you can lock on to that word and that word will work if you don't give up. Now Jesus is out there Himself walking on the water. Now is He a man? Yes, He is. He's a man. And he told you and me, if we believe, we can do the same things he did. Well, so far, I've not had faith yet to walk on water. I have not walked on water yet. But does that mean I can't do it? No, it means I can. If I get to the point to believe him, I can do that. Do I know of people that have walked on water? Yes, I do. I know of people that have walked on water. Do I know people that have raised people from the dead? Yes. Have I ever raised anybody from the dead? In the name of Jesus, I did. Only one. But that's one. And then this last week, I sat across a table from a man that his wife had been dead for several hours. And I sat and talked to her with him over a dinner the other afternoon. He would not give up. He continued to speak. She was stone dead. And today, she's alive and well. But he would not give up, praise the Lord. But I forget how many people, he said, came to Christ out of his speaking with no compromise after hours and she had been dead when she came back to life. Before this thing was all over, there was hundreds of people came to Christ because of his persistence. And now then they're seeing his life. And of course, she's sitting there having dinner with us, talking to us, just normal as anybody else. He was 62 years old, and I think she was about 60 now. But they're still in great health. But he had raised his wife from the dead. People said, I don't believe that. Well, that's what's wrong with you. You're full of doubt and unbelief. We need to get rid of the doubt and unbelief. Because Jesus gave us this answer. Here we are out here on the stormy sea. The devil brought this storm up. And this storm is raging. And Jesus comes walking across the water. And the disciples look out there and Peter sees him and he says, Lord, if that's really you, let me come to you on the water. Well, the Lord, he, had to, he don't have no way to answer that except come on. That's all he can say. Because the way the question is loaded. 
Lord, if that's really you, let me come to you on the water. So he just said, well, come on, Peter. It's me. Come on. So Peter has to act now. Now then, this is where it gets us. You've got to act. If you're sick and afflicted, and you drive out a devil, and you say, now get up and go do something you couldn't do. That's just like here at the healing school just a few uh, months ago. A young man came up here. Handsome young man. Uh, 20-something years old. He could just barely walk. His daddy and mother were sitting right there, and his daddy was a medical doctor. I said, what's wrong with you, son? He said he was playing ball, and he tore the ligaments all loose from his hip in here, and it's, it's really painful. I said, well, son, how would you like for Jesus to heal you? Well, he said, I'd love it. I said, well, Jesus said, if two of us on earth agree, it's done. I said, can you have faith to agree with me? He said, I can. I said, okay, good. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, put the meat back on his bone there and make it normal. And it's done in Jesus' name. I said, thank you, Lord. I said, thank you. He said, thank you, Lord. I said, okay, go run, do something. He said, Daddy, I can't find the pain. I said, stop looking for it. Stop looking for it. Isn't that amazing? We're trying to find something. We just prayed it to go away and we're trying to find it. It's left and we're trying everything to find the pain. No, when you thank God, go do something. So the kid took off and he started walking real slow. He went out the door, went out on the parking lot. I'm trying to talk to his wife, which has had some kind of a uh, breast cancer or whatever for five years. And all of a sudden, the boy comes running back in the door and stops, stops right here, jumping up. I said, Dad, it don't hurt at all. I said, well, what did you expect? Isn't that amazing how we don't believe God? I mean, did Jesus say, again, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father which is in heaven? Did He say that? Well, as long as there are two of us and we're on earth and we've got our sins confessed, what can we get from the King? We don't believe Him, do we? Uh, we're, we're trying, aren't we? We're trying. But you see what I'm saying. Just like Peter now here. Peter has to act on the Word. I mean, he, he's in the boat. And this boat's, you know, this is not a calm sea. And he goes to look down out there and you've got to step down into that water and it's stormy. Does that take faith? Guarantee it takes faith. Even for a fisherman, it takes faith. He stepped down and when he stepped down that water, that water was solid as a rock. And he stepped out of that boat and started walking. I'm telling you, when Peter started walking, I'm going to tell you, that devil, if he ever called in the demons to stir up the winds and the waves, he called them in that day. Because that devil, he sees what Peter's doing. He sees Peter walking on that water. I can hear him screaming, Demons, get over here and stir up the wind and the waves. Quick! If we don't do something pretty quick, we're going to have the rest of them Baptists out there on the water walking around. When you get 12 Baptists on the water, you're in trouble. We may be a little bit hard-headed and a little dense, but when you get 12 of us believing God's Word, the devil's in trouble. But it's not just Baptists. It's Methodists. It's Catholic. It's Pentecostals. You get 12 people that believe God's Word, the devil's in trouble. But just think what happens when we get 100 or 200 or 500 of us that start believing this. That's when the devil's in trouble. Well, that devil was going to stir up that wind. He's going to stir up that wave. And I can only see, as Peter was walking across that water, I can only see him going up and, and down on that rough sea. Can't you? That devil, he's trying to put everything he can in there to get Peter's mind off of the Word. 
Jesus told him, come. He's coming. But that devil's stirring that up. And all of a sudden, that devil, I can just see him now up there on top of Peter saying, Peter, you fool. You know no man can walk on water. Can't you just see that devil doing that to him? And Peter, all of a sudden, he thinks, you know, that's right. No man can walk on water. But what's he doing? Walking on water. Isn't that amazing? You walk in and you say, I guarantee when you pull the tubes out of my grandbaby, she's not only going to live, she's going to breathe, and she's going to breathe over that machine, and she's going to cough because Jesus made me a promise. And they pull the tubes, and she breathes two points over the machine, and she starts coughing. And an hour later, every doctor, which has been sitting there watching her breathe for one hour, that said it's impossible. She's breathing stronger than she ever was with a machine on her. And she coughs ever so lightly every few minutes. And every time she coughs, they all say, I don't believe this. You want to know why we don't ever see God do nothing? Because we don't believe. I mean, there hadn't changed much since the day of the boat, have we? Not much. I mean, I thought, surely, if I can speak this miracle into existence, and she starts doing this, at least after an hour, they ought to say, well, looks like she's going to live. Praise God. But no, this is impossible. She can't do this. Uh, folks, I'm going to tell you all why you don't never see God do nothing. You don't believe His promises. When He does it, you still don't believe Him. That's how we lose our healings. That's how we lose it, just like Peter. Peter's walking on the water. And all of a sudden the devil says, Peter, you fool, no man can walk on the water. And he believes him. You're walking, you know that God made you the promise, you know your healing is there, you know it's written in the Word, but all of a sudden the devil puts the worst symptom upon you you've ever had in your life. And the worst pain you've ever had. And when he puts that on you, you think, oh, honey, this stuff's not working. And the devil says, I got you. I got you. You're right. It's not going to work for you. Because the God you serve said you had to believe with no doubt in your heart. And I got you to doubt. So you lost it. But if you stand in the face of the adversary and say, no, devil, no. If Jesus said it, then that's good enough for me. I don't care what anything else says. I don't care what the symptoms are. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how many doctors told me that she can't live. If Jesus said it, and we got our sins all confessed, then it's mine. And just like today we prayed over Caitlin's eyes. Three months had come and gone. We met 40 of us believers. We met in a big circle And we prayed diligently for two hours, maybe a little over two hours. But we prayed diligently and stood on God's promises. Called the king in the remembrance of his promises. Lord, you said, you wrote in your word, right here. You said we could ask this and you would do it. And you said right here, we could ask this and you would do it. And Lord, and you said right here. And we stood on these promises over and over and over. Every one of us for two hours and every time we thanked him for reconnecting those disconnected eyes from her brain and knowing that with Him nothing's impossible. And we praised Him and thanked Him for doing it. And then finally we just left and went home. And every day I worshiped and praised the King and thank you that Caitlin could see 
and see perfect in the name of Jesus. And then three weeks later, I sat upstairs playing with her one day when she could see. And today she can see and she can run and play. And she's a normal little six-year-old girl back in school now just running and playing and having a ball. What can God do? Anything you can believe Him for. Anything you can believe Him for. If you can't believe Him for it, then that's just the way it is. You have to believe these promises. Peter was one of his apostles. When Peter started doubting, it says, Then fear came into Peter's heart, and he began to sink. When he began to sink, he cried out. And look what he says in verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst you doubt? What happens when you doubt? You lose your miracle. This is the invisible realm that you and I are fighting against. This devil is invisible. But how many of how many of you have seen Jesus lately? I have never seen him. Have you? I have never seen Jesus visibly. Now, I realize there is men and women walking this earth today that have seen him visibly, they tell me. And that's wonderful. But I've heard his voice many times. And I've had a lot of people say, I never heard his voice. Well, at least I'm blessed that area because I have heard it many times. I am very grateful to the king to have allowed me to have heard his audible voice. But if you read his word out loud, technically speaking, you're listening to his voice. This is Jesus talking in the word of God. And so, in Matthew 21, 21, let's go to another place, going over just a few pages. Matthew 21, 21, and I want to show you what Jesus said you and I can do. I've had a lot of people tell me, now Thurman, you know, here you're going to tell this person if they don't get what they're supposed to get, that they don't have any faith and you don't want to offend these people. I said, okay, then I won't tell them that. I'll let Jesus tell them that. So I'll let Jesus tell you in Matthew 21, 21, what he said. Matthew 21, 21, Jesus entered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, You shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Is there any kind of limitations to us, the church? I mean, Jesus made us the promise, didn't he? Now, if He made us the promises, what do we have to do? Number one, we've got to repent of our sins. Number one, he, said, he, he didn't say it in this Scripture, but in other Scriptures, He says, I will not hear the prayer of a sinner. So if you're living in any kind of sin, you're a sinner. Somebody said, but I'm born again. That's okay. You can be born again and still be a sinner. You can be a born again sinner. And that's what's wrong with most of the church. We see ourselves like I did most of my life as a born-again, saved, worthless sinner. I was still looking at myself as a worthless sinner. And I never saw God do not one single thing. I never saw an answer to prayer as long as I saw myself like that. 
Never. But when I begin to see myself like he said I was, a son of God, the righteousness of God in Christ, walking holy before him in obedience to his word, then come to him believing him, and when I started believing him, wow, I begin to see the Lord do awesome, awesome things. Awesome things. And I stepped over into a world that my Baptist church did not understand. I mean, they did not understand. In fact, I taught a Sunday school class in a Baptist church up until a few months ago, for years. And I hate to say this, but it's a true statement. I've had people that would come to that church looking for my Sunday school class. And they would direct them to everybody's class in that church besides mine. And they would finally say, you know, Thurman, what is it these people have against you here? I said, what do you mean? They said, they tried to put me in every class in this church. I finally told them, I came to hear Thurman's Scrivener. Where is his class? They said, well, it's upstairs, top right. They tried everything to put me in some class besides yours. Why is that? Isn't that amazing? They didn't really want me teaching in their Baptist church. So I did it for a lot of years. And finally, I decided, hey, why do I get up every Sunday morning and waste half of my day going to a Baptist church and teaching 6 to 12 people when I can come down here and teach 200? You know, why do I do that? I thought, you know, forget it, Lord. I'm not going to do it no more. I'm just going to take, if they don't want what I got, in fact, they gave me a lot of trouble until Caitlin's miracle. After Caitlin's miracle, they all knew that I'd stepped into something that they only dreamed about. I'm trying to teach them how it works, but they just won't receive it. Why is that? It's the hardness of our hearts. We don't believe this book. You know what? You know, you know the thing that I preached that they hated the most? Holiness, that's it. No sin. Herman, that's impossible. I said, no. No. It's just like the other night at a Bible study. There was a young man sitting right over here on this side. and I walked right over there and, and he asked me a question. I said, the problem is you're living in sin. He said, well, you can't live without sinning. I said, well, yes, I can. I said, I most definitely can't. I said, Jesus clearly in his word told me I am to have no sin in my flesh. That's my goal. And if he commanded me to do it that many times, I'm going to do everything in my power and his power to try to walk totally holy before God. When he says, watch every word that comes out of your mouth, I'm telling you, that takes, that's a real chore to watch every word that comes out of your mouth. I'll tell you. My new wife, Cheryl, precious woman, love her with all my heart. But I'm trying to teach her how important our words are. And, and today, the reason she's not here today, she had a double back-to-back singing event. This afternoon, she's singing at some, uh, I forget, children's home or something this afternoon. And she's got another one tonight from, uh, I forget, anyways, two of them. She's got to sing two hours at one and three hours at the other one. And so she's a very busy girl this afternoon. So she's definitely uh, at work. But the other day, I walked in the house and, and a phone call had come and somebody told her something. And boy, 
did she take it as an offense? She said, I can't believe they called and said this. And I said, now, whoa, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Watch yourself. You're fixing to step into an offense. You know, but that's my so-and-so. I said, no, now, wait a minute. Don't make no difference what it is or who's it. It all belongs to God. So don't get off over there. Don't step in that. She said, how do you do this? I said, it's taken me a long, long time. <laughs> a long, long time. You know how easy it is to get offended? Especially if you worked your heart out to do something, right? And, but that's the devil. You've got to realize that's the devil. So you work your heart out to do something, and what do you want somebody to say? Hey, you did a good job on that. You've done a fine job on that. But he walks up and says, Larry, that's, 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 that's terrible. That stinks. I don't like the way you've done that. And if you really worked hard and long on that, it's hard to say, well, that's okay, brother. I did the best I could, right? It is hard because it's so easy to be offended. But that's what the devil wants you to do. Because when you step into those offenses and begin to receive them and talk evil about people, it'll cut off your power with God. And that's exactly what that devil's trying to do. So, and I tell you what, it will make you sick too. It will bring the devil upon you. And I'm going to tell you, now, what I'm teaching you, I have tested out. Now, I tell this every once in a while at a healing school, but don't you go try it. But I'm going to tell you what I did one time. I'm walking in divine health, and I've realized all these things. And one day, I got to thinking, you know, this, this is so foolish. This don't make no sense at all. This couldn't really work like this. And I thought, Lord, forgive me. But I'm going to put your word to the test today. You told me not to put you to the test. But I said, Lord, this realm, this spirit world that I can't see, this sounds so foolish. What I teach sounds so stupid. But yet it's in your word. So anyway, I said, I'm going going to put it to the test. I had asked a young man that worked for me to do something. And I knew he hadn't done it. And so I walked down into his office and there was another man sitting there with him. And... I walked in and I said, I called his name. I said, did you do that project I told you to do last week? He said, Mr. Scrivener, I've been so busy, I haven't had time. I said, don't give me no excuse. I just jumped right down his throat. And the guy was sitting there. He said, man, be a little easier on the guy. I turned to him. I said, shut your mouth. I don't want to hear a word from you. Now, do you see any love in what I'm doing? Am I stepped way beyond the limits of love? And I've done all this on purpose. And they were all offended. And I walked out of the door and closed that office. And I hadn't got to the top of the stairs until my head stopped up with a runny nose. time I got to my office, I said, you devil of hell, you can't do this to me in the name of Jesus. And I couldn't hardly breathe the time I got to my office. And then I thought, Lord, this stuff really works. I said, Lord, I repent. I, I put you to the test, Lord. You told me not to put you to the test, but Lord... I just had to know. And I said, Lord, I repent. So I go back down there to his office, and that other guy was gone. I said, son, I am so sorry I jumped right in the middle of you. But I said, you wouldn't understand if I told you why I'd done that. But I said, would you forgive me? He said, Mr. Scribner, you never, ever done nothing like that to me. And you did it in front of that guy. I said, oh, by the way, who was he? I need to know who he was, too. And he told me who he was. And so I finally got the young man to forgive me. And I walked out and went to my office and I called him. 
And the guy said, and I told him what I, that I asked him to forgive me too. He said, man, i never seen anybody blow up like that. And he said, then i definitely never seen anybody get right this quick. <laughs> but he says, I, I don't know. I said, I'm doing something that you wouldn't understand if I told you. So I said, anyway, will you forgive me? And he said, yes, of course. I said, okay. And then I stood up. My head was almost totally plugged up. And I said, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, out. And in one heartbeat, I was totally healed. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? When you get off into these realms, see, Jesus told you in His Word not to do those kind of things. He clearly said in 1 Peter 3, starting verse 10, to the man that will have long life, see a long life and have good days. You keep your tongue from speaking evil about others. How many people have read that and never dreamed that verse would bring a shortness of life and bring sickness and disease up in your flesh? What? 1 Peter 3.10. I'll open my Bible and read it for you. Just to make sure that I don't misquote something to you. 1 Peter 3. Let me turn over there. 1 Peter 3.10. Is that what it say, Larry? Okay, 1 Peter 3. It says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. In verse 11, Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now then, how many people have done those kind of things? That are Christians and never dreamed what they were doing. You talk, talk evil about somebody. You received an offense. And then you got sick. You had no idea what brought it on. You were feeling so good that morning when somebody called and offended you and you received it and then everybody you met, you told them how bad or how nasty that man or that woman was. And by the afternoon, you was mad as a hornet and you went to bed mad and you woke up the next morning mad and you were sick when you woke up. And you thought, well, if that ain't enough, now then I'm sick too on top of it. Well, you did it to yourself. You did it to yourself. See, the answer is in the Word, isn't it? See? Now then, if you turn from your evil ways and seek righteousness, then the Lord will hear your prayer. But if you stay evil and wicked there, He ain't going to hear your prayer, is He? Was that what He said right there? To the man that will have a long life and see good days? I don't know about you, but I want to have a long life and see good days. So that means I've got to do it God's way. Not mine. It may not make no sense to me, but all I know is the owner's manual says. Now then, when you read the owner's manual, like I read the law book from the state of Texas, you see what you can do, right? I stood in the face of a judge, and that judge got so mad at me that day, if you say one more word, I'll have you in contempt of court. And all I was doing was reading the law. But just think, I now know. Now think about it. This is on the tape. I don't care if it's on the tape. This is a true statement. I don't care if these kind of things are on tape. 
that judge, which I didn't call his name, and this happened several years ago. I would never call his name. But that judge had to know the law of the land. That judge was finding people, no telling how many at that intersection in Flower Mount, and no, no telling how much money he brought into that city to pay his wages, a police officer's wages, and every one of it was against the laws of the land. Was he doing something illegal? Yes, he was. He most certainly was. And it finally took one man to stand up to him with the written law to get him to change. Now then, see, I'm not going to associate too much him with the devil, but that's the way the devil works. The devil knows what the rights and the laws are. He knows them, but he also knows what he can get you for. And he knows ways to accuse you and get you to fall, and he'll get you to fall, and he'll get you. And the reason he will destroy you is just exactly what's written in Hosea 4, 6. My people, that's us, which are called by my name, the Lord's name, we perish for the lack of knowledge. Jesus told us what we could do. But we don't believe him. When you believe Him and have faith and you act on the Word and you walk holy before God, what did the Lord say in Matthew 21, 21? If you have faith and doubt not, you should not only do that which was done to the fig tree. Anybody know what He had done to the fig tree? He cursed that fig tree and that fig tree died, didn't He? Now, if somebody says, you know, I went out and sang to my flowers and they got prettier. Somebody says, you are crazy. Well, no, they may be a whole lot smarter than you think. They're out there saying, oh, Jesus loves these beautiful flowers. He made, Lord, bless those that make my roses the most beautiful roses in town. Thank you, Lord. And you got the most beautiful roses in town. Now, if Jesus spoke to the fig tree and it died, you ought to be able to speak to them and cause them to grow, right? I mean, if you, if you believe, somebody says, you're crazy. Well, I don't know. I, I kind of believe what the king says here. And that's that's kind of... You've got to start thinking, learn to think like God. You know, that's the whole... We've been taught to think like man. I was taught to think like man far too many years of my life, and I never did learn how to do anything. But when I got to where I realized I was a son of God, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, and the same power that's in me was the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And if that power is in me, you know what we ought to do every morning when we get up? Now, I didn't do this this morning, but I, I should have. I should get up in the morning when I go in and look in the mirror. The first thing I should do when I look in there, I should say, Wow, God is in that thing. <laughs> wow, Lord. I mean, with just me, I'm nothing. But with you and me together, there ain't nothing me and you as a majority can't do on this earth. Ain't that the what we should start thinking, right? Thank you, Lord. God is in me. The Holy Ghost is in me. You said, if I can believe with no doubt in my heart, nothing shall be impossible with me. If I have faith and doubt not, I can not only speak to the fig tree, but I can command the mountain to be removed from here to yonder, and that mountain will have to obey me. So when I speak to sickness and disease today in your name, Lord, I'm going to expect it to leave in the name of Jesus. See, when you get a hold of this, and really begin to believe this, you won't never have to go anywhere and have somebody else pray for you in faith. You will take these promises 
And when the devil comes upon you, you'll begin to speak to it yourself. Command that devil to leave in the name of Jesus. And it doesn't make any difference if it takes one minute, five hours, five weeks, or five months. You will not give up. And eventually that devil's going to say, you know, they believe this stuff. I've got to leave. And you'll be able to start seeing the Lord do awesome things. When we, when we learn these principles at our ministry, I mean, we teach these to everybody in our ministry, and we've got a prayer team out there now. It, vir- it virtually makes no difference who people get on the prayer line, whether it be anybody in our place. When we pray for people, we get praise reports all the time, don't we, Lane? It don't make no difference whether it's you or Lori or Wendell or me or whoever. God answers our prayers, doesn't He? All kinds of people. We get praise reports all the time because we have all learned how to pray in faith. We've learned who we are. You know, we get praise reports back for everybody on our team. I mean, I read letters. I get letters all the time, you know, just praising the Lord for everybody. Elaine prayed for me. Wendell prayed for me. You know, Bill prayed for me. All kinds of reports. Lori, tell that Lori she prayed for me and I got healed. Well, I mean, it don't matter who it is. Praise reports from everybody on a regular basis. Because guess who it is we've learned? Guess who the healer is? It's not us. It's our King. And when you start seeing yourself in the light of Christ in you, the hope of glory, then you can pray in faith because you know it's not you, but it's your faith in your Savior and your healer. And when you start praying like that and you tell everybody, it's not me, but it's Jesus, and he's the one that's doing it, then you can pray realizing that with your Jesus, there is no limitations. None. That's how you can take a young man on the phone in Chicago. And here you are sitting out here in the ministry center in Justin. And the young man's down in his back. And you can get him to believe God's word. When you finally get him to, of course, it takes a while usually, you know, 45 minutes to four hours. You know, that's why we got unlimited long distance on all of our telephones. <laughs> because if it's anything we have to do, we have to spend lots of time on the phone, don't we, Lane? Lots of time building people's faith. They want you to call in and pray for them and they get instantly healed. But it very rarely ever works like that. You have to build their faith, build their faith, build their faith, build their faith. Let them hear God's promises. Now, Jesus said this. He promised. And as you do this, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And finally, they'll say, you know, if you'll pray for me, I know I'll be healed. You finally hit the magic button. I know if you'll pray for me, I'll be healed. And so, you pray the prayer of faith for them, and they get healed. Now, the other day, I, I got really tickled at, at Bill Gothard whenever he's seen so many people healed in his office that I've had the privilege to pray for. I mean, I don't even know how many. Four, five, or six now has been healed. And one of the doctors of theology made this statement to him the other day. And they always use this one lady. How many of you have ever heard of Miss Johnny Erickson? The paraplegic, quadriplegic. Wonderful woman that broke her neck in a diving accident years ago as a 17-year-old young woman. One of the doctors of theology, Bill, was telling them about me praying for all these people. He said, well, if that's the case, then why is Johnny Erickson still down? And Bill said, I guess 
the only reason I can say is because Thurman's never prayed for her. <laughs> I thought, oh, lands of mercy. Oh, goodness. I thought, Lord. And she contacted our ministry the other day. And she said she wanted to talk to me. I said, Lord, Lord, bring my faith level to the level it needs to be and bring her faith level to the place it needs to be. But Lord, whatever you, don't put just me with her. Put me and a team of men and women where we can all pray. Because if you were to put me with her, and I was to pray for her, and she was instantly healed, I said, Lord, I can only imagine what would happen to me. I don't want that, Lord. I don't want that. Because I don't want people to look and think it's me. But if there's ten of us praying around her, they'll have to know it's you. And Lord, that's what I want to see. I said, the day you bring her and I together, you make sure she's with us in our entire ministry team so that nobody can take the glory for her miracle but you. And then I said... Then, when that woman jumps out of that wheelchair and starts running and doing handsprings and is totally healed, when they say, well, who prayed for you? She said, well, there was about 10 or 15 of them around me. So it had to be Jesus. And when they say that, then they won't ever ask who they were. They won't say, well, it was Thurman and his team. They'll just say, it was a bunch of people around her and they prayed and Jesus healed her. And that will bring glory and honor to the King. And then people will seek out the King. And that's what we want you to seek out, the King. It's not us. It's not you. It's all about Jesus. Whenever my grandbaby's brainstem was put back together, it was faith spoken in the Word of God. And yes, I had to have that kind of faith to bring that miracle into existence. And I had that kind of faith. And... As I spoke his word, the king did show up. But that miracle again was so awesome and so intensive. Nobody in their right mind would know or believe that anybody could have done a miracle like that except our king. Nobody. You got to know that you and me outside of Christ have no power. But with him in us, if we can believe him, he said there's no limitations to what he can do. So when we see that and start praying like that and believing it's Him, every one of us will get our healing and we'll walk in it. And we'll keep it forever. Because we'll learn who it is that's putting these things on us and we will stand in faith just like I did for Caitlin. It took me from October the 13th. Do you realize in two more days, three days, the days of night, Three days now, it'll be three years ago, she was laying on that bed. It happened on October the 13th, three years ago. Boy, how fast life goes by. Three years have come and went. And it's amazing what happens to us and how our lives change in three years. Mine has totally changed in those three years. I am walking in a new faith level today beyond anything I ever dreamed. 
And it's all come into reality because of Caitlin's miracle. Now, that miracle shot me into a place of faith beyond my wildest dreams. This book has become alive to me. This book, when Jesus said, used to I just read this, and Jesus answered and said to them, Verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you say unto the mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things, whatever you ask in prayer believing, you shall receive. And I just go right on. I just read that like a novel. But today that means something to me. Today that means something to me. Today, that means what it says to me. That has become a revelation in my heart. That Jesus says, if I have faith and doubt not. If I have faith and doubt not. You know what the biggest word in the King James Bible is? If. If. Isn't it a lame? That's a monster. If you have faith. Well, Lord, I think I have faith. Oh, you do? I think, don't get it, does it? You've got to know. It's in your heart. Well, Lord, I'm going to try this. No, it won't work if you try it. It only works if you do it. Somebody said, well, I'm going to take what I've learned today and I'm going to go home and I'm going to try my best to kick this devil out of me and get healed. I said, you might as well forget it. It's not going to work. You already got doubt in your heart. But when you walk out of here, just like when I was in Oregon, I will never forget. I had two people. There was a big, long prayer line of people all around. And there was a man on that end had diabetes and a woman on that end had diabetes. And I remember those two. When I went up there, that man said, praise God. He said, I've never heard the Word of God taught like this before in my life. He said, you pray for me tonight and I am healed. I'm throwing away this stuff and I am never going to use it again. A month later, I got an email from him said, praise God. I throwed away that insulin that night. I have not had a single sign of diabetes. My blood sugar has been perfect ever since. I knew, I knew, I knew that that man had it that night. But the woman on the other end, she said, I never heard the Word of God taught like this before in my life, but she said, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to put my insulin on the shelf and I'm going to see what happens. The next morning, her blood sugar was so wild, she had to get back on it. It was worse than it had ever been. What was the difference between those two people? Faith. One of them had it, and one of them tried it. One of them it worked for, and one of them it didn't. You've got to know these promises are for you. And if they are, and of course, like Caitlin's eyes, her little eyes disconnected. I mean, I prayed over those eyes every day, every day, every day, every day for three months, and she could not see a lick. And that's when I called all those people together, and we prayed for a couple of hours. Could she see? Absolutely not. And it still took three more weeks for her eyes to open. Why does it take so long for those kind of things? I don't have a clue. But if I know that the promises are yes and amen, I know it just depends on, am I going to give up and lose my miracle, or am I going to stand on His Word until I get it? That's what I'm going to do. And that's just like I remember when Tim, Caitlin was walking, running and everything, but she couldn't see she loved to climb up down the stairs at the house and then slide on her little bottom, bump down the carpet on her bottom. You know you know how little kids are. She loved to climb up to the top of there and then sit on that stair and bump, 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 bump. Just, uh, that doesn't look like no fun to me, but that's something she loved to do. So, you know, okay, she loved to do that. So okay. I'd sit there and watch her and make sure she didn't get hurt or anything. 
But she's totally blind in this time. And Tim walked up there one day and, of course, I'm taking her by the hand, taking her down the, off the little platform, down into the main floor. And, and Tim walked and said, Daddy. He said, Daddy. I put my hands over my eyes. He said, Daddy, I can only imagine what it would be like to have to go through life like that. I said, Son, with the God we serve and the faith I got, and I'm going to build that faith. I said, She's not going to go through life blind. Now, you don't say those kind of things unless you expect God to do what He said in His Word, right? But my son, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. I said, son, she's not going to go through life blind. She's going to see. I said, the God we serve, He made us the promises. And I'm standing on those promises. And I don't know what I've got to do to get them eyes back. But I'm never going to get up, give up until I get them eyes back. And I said, I'm going to get more and more intense. But I'm going to guarantee you on the Word of living God, Caitlin's going to see again. But yet the doctor said, her eyes, she ain't just got blind eyes. The cords going from the eyes to the brain are jerked out of the brain. And every doctor in the world says there is no surgery of no kind can put those things back. She will be blind forever. Well, it depends on whose report you're going to believe. God's are the devils, right? But did it happen overnight? No. It took from October the 13th when she was blinded till January the 6th when we prayed for two hours and then three more weeks past that. And then she could see. And today, of course, she's six years old, running and playing in school, just doing all kinds of wonderful things. And two weeks ago at the healing school in Justin, I had her over there. I brought her over there. And uh, then I don't think that film turned out how bad. Now, the film didn't turn out. Unfortunately, we had some new equipment and stuff, and we didn't uh, have everything set up just exactly right or something. I don't know what it was. Something didn't turn out. But anyway, I'll bring her to one of these again, one of these days. Maybe at the next one, adjust them. I'll have her out there again because she lives close out there. But she was just a little six-year-old, mischievous little girl. She didn't want to turn loose of her daddy, of course, that day when in there all, all them strange people. She didn't know what was going on. She kind of hung on to him. But... You could see how beautiful a job Jesus done on that little girl. How he put that little face together. Now then, by knowing these kind of promises, if I have faith and doubt not, what did he say we could do? Anything. So what kind of limitation did the king give you and me, Larry? No, no limitations as his children, is there? It's told up to you and me, right? People say, you can't get God to do these kind of things. Oh, yes, you can. I mean, with promises like that, if I, have, if I have faith and doubt not, and then he says in verse 22, And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. What kind of limitation did he give you and me? There's only one. We've got to walk in faith and believe, right? And be holy. Now, we can't be living in no kind of sin, because he said he don't hear our prayer when we're living in sin. So if we're not living in no kind of sin, we're walking holy before Him, then He told you as His daughter to come and ask Him anything. But when you ask, you've got to believe, right? Believe and thank It's done. So get up and go do what you couldn't do. Say, Lord, thank you. It's done. Is that difficult? It really is. It really is difficult. You know, you go to a hospital and pray over somebody and say, okay, I'm casting this devil out of you. Now then you're healed in the name of Jesus. The other day up there in Baltimore, 
21-year-old young man sent home to die. How would you like to be a 21-year-old young man sent home to die? So they asked me to come over there. So I went over to their home that afternoon. I sat down with a young man and found out he had a gross bunch of unforgiveness towards several people. I told him, you've got to get rid of that unforgiveness or you're going to die, son. We've got all the unforgiveness taken care of. I've now reached over and laid my hands on him. I said, now Jesus clearly said, I can lay my hands on you, command this devil to leave you, and he's got to leave, and he will heal you. I said, but you've got to believe that with no doubt in your heart. He saw it in the Word. He said, sir, it's written in the Bible. I believe it. I said, okay, we're going to find out. Reached up and laid my hands on him. He's repented. I drove the devil out of him. said, now you're healed in the name of Jesus. I said, now get up and go outside and start running around doing some things you couldn't do. He started to look at me and he said, but I'm awful weak. I said, son, I didn't tell you to tell me you're weak. I said, get up and go do something you couldn't do. I said, sick boys stay in bed and die. Said, well, 21-year-old boys get up and go out and run and play basketball. He got up, walked out, walked out around the front, walked up and down the street, came back in the house, said, I'm feeling better already. I said, see you at church tonight, son. So we left. Him and his mother and dad in church that night. All of them. I said, how do you feel? He said, wonderful. What happens? You can lay there and let the devil kill you. Or you can take the Word of God and get up and go do something. Who's the healer? Jesus. Did he make us the promises? Yes, he did. But you've got to believe. That devil, he'll put you down. Mark eleven twenty three. another one of those powerful verses. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So if you've repented of all your sins and the devil has put something upon you, you can come against it in the name of Jesus. That is literally... An awesome statement, isn't it, Lanny? You think our king meant that? All we got to do is believe it. He didn't give us a lack of power, did he, Lanny? Not at all. But see, we allow the enemy to beat up on us. We speak to the problem, whatever it is. Now think about how long sometimes this takes to get these things done. One of the things on Caitlin, so that you'll show, I've been through so many tests with her. During that first 30 days, Caitlin was in the hospital in ICU. They put a neck brace around her neck. And the neck brace rubbed right here on the bottom of her chin. When she got to where she could turn her head, that thing tight on her neck, and it kept constantly kept all of the meat eat off the bottom of her neck. So when they finally took the thing off, there was a double-layered knot scar came up under her chin. Now, the first two weeks the Lord healed every cut and bruise and mark on her face without a scar. I asked Him to do that, and He did it. But I got her out of that hospital where that thing had rubbed on her, and she had that great... It was a double-layered scar. And so I didn't want that thing on there. Of course, you couldn't see it unless you raised your head up like this. If she was just walking up to, especially a little girl, you could not see, even if you knelt down in front of her, you couldn't see under her chin, so you couldn't tell there was a big scar under her neck right there, under her chin. But I knew it was there. I didn't want that scar on her neck. So I would take these promises like this, Mark eleven twenty three, 
And every time she would come up to me at the breakfast table or whatever, I'd reach over and I'd tickle her on the chin right there and I'd feel that big old hard knot. And I'd say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I speak to that thing and I command that thing to come off in the name of Jesus. Now, what did the king tell me to do to that kind of stuff? I mean, it's what he said, wasn't it? And every time she'd come up, I'd reach up and I'd tickle her on the chin and I'd say, Lord, thank you for taking that thing off her chin. You command that thing to come off in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, thank you for doing it. Well, there's got to be something wrong with me, right? I mean, a month comes and goes, two months comes and goes, six months comes and goes, a year comes and goes, a year and a half comes and goes, and two years come and go, and that thing has not changed one bit. I mean, this stuff don't work, does it? That's what most people say. But I'd reach up there, and the other morning, it's only been, well, it's almost been a year ago now. It's amazing how fast the time goes by. But the other morning, she run up to me. At, I was sitting there. That's when I still lived in my house out there where I lived before I give my son. And I was sitting there at the table having a bowl of cereal that morning. She come running in the house. Come running right up to the table. Of course, she's just a little higher than the tabletop. And I just reached over there and I said, Lord, thank you for... <laughs> and I drove her little head back and I said, Praise God, it's gone today in the name of Jesus. I mean, even Granddaddy got excited. But it took me two years to pray that thing off of there. Now, when it went off only a week before, I'd done that and it was still there. But in a week's time, he took it off. But how long had I been doing that? Two solid years. Somebody said, Thurman, you're crazy. You've done that for six months. You did that for a year. When are you going to give up? Well, let me tell you, (laughs) there you go. That's the secret, right? If that thing was still on there, guess what I'd still be doing? That's exactly right. I'd still be speaking to that thing in the name of Jesus. I got these examples from other people. I knew of a man one time that he came into a service and the preacher was teaching that very verse right there in Mark 11, 23. And he said, what's wrong with you? He said, my pancreas. He said, I'm a diabetic and I'm on insulin. He said, your pancreas don't work? He said, no, sir, it hadn't worked in 37 years. He said, well, start taking Mark 11 and 23 and start speaking to it. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, Jesus says, if you shall say unto your pancreas, speak to your pancreas. He said, you don't want it to be removed, but you want it to be fixed. But Jesus said, here you can say, tell it to be removed and cast in the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have whatsoever you say. So he said, begin to speak to the pancreas. Say, pancreas, I command you in the name of Jesus to line up with the Word of God and start producing. In the name of Jesus, you will produce a proper amount of insulin. You will come back to life. And I speak life into you and you will work in the name of Jesus. And he said, every time you do it, thank the Lord for doing it. He said, how often do I do it? He said, every time you think about it, but at least three or four or five times a day. So that man started doing that. That man did that over and over and over for almost two years. And one day that man, had to, he got in a little accident in a car deal, and the doctor wanted to look at him. He went down and checked him. He said, are you still taking insulin? He said, well, I'm almost completely off of it. He said... I'm just taking just a very little bit. He said, you know, in these reports, your pancreas is almost working perfect. 
He said, I've never seen one come back to life. But he said, it's working so close to perfect. He said, why don't you just stop using insulin and let's see what happens. And the man stopped using insulin and he never took it again. Now, does that confirm what the Word says? When I heard that guy tell that story that time and I read that, I thought, you know, God, if that'll work for him, that'll work for me. And it took him two years to get his pancreas working. So if I speak to things like that little scar and commanded to come off in the name of Jesus, my king said it would happen. But it took him two years to make it happen on him. So I don't know how long it's going to take. You know what I would have liked to have done? I would have liked to reach up there and touch your under the chin and said, you scar, come off in the name of Jesus. And I'd like to see it just say, But it, we all want to do that, don't we? But it didn't work like that. Now, if it had up, I would have still been just as excited. I would have, and it could work like that for you. Now, you don't know. The way I believe this is this is according to your faith. If you have little faith, it takes a lot longer. So that tells you how much faith I got. It took me two years to speak that thing off. So I must have a little bitty measure of faith over here somewhere. But whatever it is, I had enough to finally get it off. So if I can speak to a scar for two years and take it off, if you've got any kind of problem and you've got all your sins confessed and you don't doubt God and you start speaking to it with no doubt in your heart, what's got to happen to your problem? It's got to be fixed. It's got to go away. Right, brother? It's got to... Only just yesterday, I was talking with a man and I was telling him, I said, you know... My eyes are not as clear and sharp as they was when I was a much younger man. And I said, I've been speaking to my eyes, commanding them to get strong and sharp again like they was when I was young. And he said, you know, my grandmother had real bad eyes all of her life. And she did that same thing. And said she spoke to them eyes, commanded them to be normal and bright and sharp and clear. And he said, my grandmother, we all thought my grandmother had lost it. We thought she was crazy. But he says, when my grandmother hit her 70th birthday, her eyes came back clear and sharp. And he said, until she died at 90, she could read the smallest print in her Bible. And she never had to have glasses again from 70 to 90. But it's written in the Word, isn't it? It's in the Word. Now, what if that woman had to give up at 68 or 69 and stop speaking to it? She would have never got it, would she? I mean, somebody said, well, my goodness, I've been doing this for 10 years and nothing's changed. Well, then keep doing it another 5 or 10, whatever it takes. But don't give up. See, that's what happens to us. We're not persistent enough. I mean, the average person. Like when, when I prayed over Kelly... When I prayed over Kelly's scars all over the top of her head, in 30 days, all of them was completely gone. Now, I, oh man, isn't that awesome? I love that. I, well, and I just prayed one prayer. I, and that's something. I prayed one prayer for little Kelly. I, whenever she showed me them great big old scars. And, and look at the promise in John 14, 13 and 14. Look at that promise. If you ain't got that promise committed to memory, look at that promise in John 14, 13 and 14. Now see what that promise is. That's, that's to you if you're a born-again Christian. Jesus said in John 14, 13 and 14, what did He say there? Ask what, Larry? Anything. 
What? Anything. Ask the Father anything in His name and He'll do it for you? Do you really think He meant that? If He really meant that, then why do we live where we live in the church? If Jesus really meant these mighty things in His Word, then why do we let the devil beat up on us so bad in the church? That's a good thought, isn't it? I mean, he, he did it to me for years. Did he do it to you, brother? Oh, he's still doing it to you. Not near much as he was, right? <laughs> Since you met me in Jesus. It, it, I just happened to be able to show you these things and you found out, hey, this crazy Baptist guy, I mean, this guy that so many people say is crazy, what he's teaching is written in my book. And I may have a Baptist book or a Methodist book, but it don't make no difference which one I got. What this guy's teaching is written in my book. And since it's written in my book and it works for him, I'm going to start doing it just like him. And it works for you, doesn't it? Isn't that amazing? It works for a lot of us. It works for all of us that believe him, young lady. That's the thing, right? It works for all of us that believe him. That's the secret. That's just like they brought a woman to me the other day, an older woman. And this woman wanted me to pray for her. I said, okay. I said, ma'am, do you have any faith? Oh, yes, son. I've been going to church all my life. I've been in the Baptist church ever since I was six years old. I said, oh, ma'am, you've been in the Baptist church all your life? She said, yes. I said, oh, am I in trouble? And she, I forget how old she was, 85 or whatever, was way on up there. And I'm going to teach this woman faith, and she's been in church 80-something years, and now she's got all these problems. And she, just like I was, she didn't have a clue what faith was. And I was young, and it took me 30 years to learn what faith was. And she's going to expect me to build her faith at 85 years old in 15 minutes where she can get her miracle from God. Forget it. There's no way. It's not going to happen. I know that. I mean, I hate to confess that, but I know that. She's where she is because she don't have any faith. And so I said, ma'am, you've got to believe God. Oh, I believe God. I said, okay, ma'am. I'm going to pray over you and Jesus will heal you. And so I prayed over her. I said, do you believe you're healed? Well, she said, I'm, I know God can if He wants to. I thought, oh, man, Lord. After about 30 minutes with her, I finally just said, ma'am, you're going to have to get in the Word. Oh, son, I know the Word. I said, okay. Okay. I mean, what can I do? What can I do? I just, it just never ceases to amaze me that every word that came out of that poor lady's mouth was a negative confession. It was contrary to the word. None of the confessions lined up with the word. They, when you pray for somebody, they got to believe. Now then, if you, if you go by your symptoms, you'll never get well. Miss Emily Dawson, which was here at the last healing school, Two weeks ago, and she was here in our church Sunday afternoon two weeks ago. That woman, 53 years old, had been raised in a Baptist church. Good Christian woman. Had had 13 surgeries in 53 years. And now has terminal lupus. And one more surgery. She can live six more months. And then it's all over. So Miss Emily says, forget it. I've been cut and stuck so many times. I'm just going home and die. And then some little preacher like me, comes along and says, Miss Emily, you have a choice. You, I have a choice? Yes, ma'am. You have a choice. You can either live or you can die. You can either speak to the problem 
or you can agree with the problem, but it's your choice. She did not know that. She got a hold of God's promises, and she fought her battle intently for a year. She said there was times the pain would be so severe, she wanted to give up. But she said, I would not. No doctors just trusted Jesus. It took her a year. She overcame the forces of darkness in one year, came out on the other side, totally healed. And the other day when she was here with us, I turned her loose after the worship service at 2.30, and she preached an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 40 minutes, and then she stayed here with us and prayed over people and cast out demons until 10 o'clock Sunday night, and she's 75 years old. And you know what my wife said? She said, Miss Emily, I want you to be my spiritual mother. She said, when I get 75, I want to be just like you. Well, let me tell you, every woman would want to be just like that woman. She said, if you get sick and you let the devil put any kind of sickness and disease upon you as a Christian, you're living in total deception. She said, all sickness and disease comes from the devil. And she said, since I've learned that and I've drove the devil out, she said, does he ever come up on me? She said, oh yeah, he tries. Here she is, 75 years old, and I just loved it when she done this. She said, when that devil comes up on me, I take the word of God, and you ought to have seen her do that dance. She said, I tell that devil you ain't having me, you beast, in the name of Jesus. And she said, I start quoting her, I said, out of here in Jesus' name. And I thought, whoo, what a 75-year-old woman. Everybody ought to be like that when they're 75, right? She is on fire. She's a ball of fire, isn't she, Elaine? Oh, man. And that night, like I said, 10 o'clock that night, still casting out demons. I mean, we saw some awesome manifestations of demons that evening when she was here. And at 10 o'clock, of course, I had been on a, that was about the 15th day of my fast. And I'm telling you, I hadn't had a bite of food to eat in 15 days. And I was getting tired. And I finally, I, I thought, although she's been eating, uh, she's 10 years older than me. And I, at 10 o'clock that night, I told everybody, wasn't but about 20 people left here. I said, hey, we're going to cancel the service tonight. We're going to go home. We're going to let Miss Emily get some rest. And I said, we'll reconvene next Sunday and start over. But 75 years old, a ball of fire, but yet 20 years before she was on her deathbed with terminal lupus with no chance to live. Totally healed by the power of God. Stood on the Word. Ain't letting that devil get me. Takes the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and cuts that devil's head off and says, Devil, you're not having me in the name of Jesus. Now then, in the name of Jesus, what did the Lord say we could do? What did he say in John 14, 13, 14 again later we could ask for? What do we not understand about that? I mean, that's in the Word, isn't it? Now, when we ask Him for that, He said we must ask in faith nothing wavering, right? No doubt. Now, what if you don't get your healing right then? You, you, don't, you don't doubt it. You still stand on it, right, brother? You stand on the Word. And when you stand on the Word, when you've done all you can do, Jesus said, stand. Stand on my Word. If you don't get your whatever you need, you stand on it and continue to stand on it and come against that devil until you get yourself completely back in line. And then you make sure you walk holy before God and you continue on in faith, nothing wavering. And then every time the devil tries to come up on you, you take these mighty promises and you drive that beast out and you can walk in divine health. Now then, it's time for the break. Before we take the break in the afternoon...
we always take up our offering for the uh, service. This is where we support our ministry. If you want a, a receipt, we'll give you an envelope. Anybody want to give cash and needs a receipt, you need an envelope. Anybody need an envelope here? Uh, let's, uh, uh, Billy, we've got some up here and some over here. Give them an envelope. Be sure and print your whole name. If you want a receipt, don't just put Susie Jones on it. Dropped something off in the office building behind mine, and I was running down the stairs to get back over to my office, and this Hispanic lady was walking down the stairs just going like that, going, oh, and I could tell she was in a lot of pain, and I looked over at her. We got down to the bottom of the stairs, and I said, are you in pain? And she said, oh, yes. And I said, you know, Jesus can heal that pain for you. And I said, why don't I pray for you right here? And so she just threw her hands up in the air. And I just prayed the quick prayer over her. And I said, now in Jesus' name, you're healed. So thank Jesus. And she said, oh, thank you, Jesus. And she took one step. And I was on my way out the door. She went, praise God. All the pain is gone. I mean, but I mean, after all, though, don't y'all all know that this dispensation, Jesus don't do those kind of things anymore? <laughs> That's what I was told so many years of my life. Jesus don't do those kind of things anymore. He only did those kind of things back, you know, when He was here on the earth. He don't do miracles no more. I believe that too many years. But I don't believe it no more. Praise the Lord. Anybody else got a testimony you'd like to give? Come up here, young lady, if you want to tell us what Jesus has done for you. Praise the Lord. Just one second. We got this lady, and then we'll get you, sir. Well, I had, I had two healings when um, I came here two months ago for the first time. Uh, my eight-year-old son, Sammy, had mild autism, and um, I brought a picture of him, and Thurman prayed, and I believed that Sammy was healed, and... Um, but I've had Sammy on a special diet for the last four years, and, and it was kind of my um, safety net with Sammy. It, it helped him to be much better. And um, the thing with autism is um, this, is what, this is what I read. Their small intestine is damaged, and they can't process gluten and casein. So that's like dairy and... Wheat, barley, rye, I can't remember what else. Um, so for four years, Sammy didn't have, I, I never knowingly fed Sammy any gluten or casein. And, um, but I always knew when he got some from somewhere else because he would, he would check out. He would pace the kitchen floor and his eyes would be fixed on the kitchen floor and you couldn't break in. You couldn't get, I mean, even right up in his face, you couldn't make eye contact with him. He just, he wasn't there. And um, so I realized after Thurman prayed that if Sammy was really healed, I could take him off the diet. And that wasn't exactly good news to me because I was really scared because school was starting the next day and um, I really wanted Sammy to behave well at school. And, um, but I, I fed him breakfast Sunday morning, um, a regular breakfast, and I stood next to him, and I prayed out loud, thank you, God, for healing Sammy, and please use this food to nourish his body, and don't let it harm him. 
And um, Sammy was so excited, he gave his testimony to everybody. <laughs> um, but um, Satan really gave me a run for my money that day, because that day, that Sunday, twice I saw Sammy doing autistic things. He was pacing, I couldn't get in, and we were at Super Salad, waiting in line to eat, and he was echoing, and that was an autistic behavior Sammy never had before. And um, But I just... I just did what Thurman would have told me to do, and I let him eat the food, and he ate everything he wanted to, and he has been fine. He has eaten regular food ever since then, so his small intestine is healed. And um, Oh, and I'll just make this one really short. Um, I was also healed of um, long-term profound depression that day. So, and... Uh, but I have to say, I gave my testimony in church three weeks ago, and after I gave my testimony, I was in rough shape. I was really, really in rough shape. And um, But the elders prayed for my daughter on Thursday night this week, and they prayed for me too about the depression thing that, you know, since I gave my testimony, I wasn't really okay, and, and I'm better. And um, But don't think that I'm claiming that I'm depressed again because even during that whole time that I mean I, I still stood by and said that I am healed. Amen. So Amen. You gotta stand on the word. You gotta stand on the word of God. Well I've got a testimony and then I've got a question. This the last question will be self explanatory. Uh there's been I'll just make this short. I've had three ladies that were had terminal illnesses that somehow the Lord just ran me across their path and prayed for them, and they've lived. And one of them is a neighbor lady, and uh, we went up. My wife and I went up to get some figs. She told us her figs were ripe, and she knew we wanted some, so we got up there. and And she had just gotten back from the from the doctor, and uh, she had a the X-ray showed white mass all in her lungs. Well, she smokes very heavily and has for many years, and. Uh, then he has said she had a, uh, I think it's called an aneurysm, a thing on her main artery coming out of her heart, and the doctor told her to go home and not to do anything. That it was, it could burst any second. There would be nothing they could do for her. And so anyway, we laid hands on her and anointed her with oil and prayed for her. <clears throat> In a few days, she went back to the doctor and got another exam, and the white mass was gone completely, and the, and the aneurysm had gone down so small. The doctor said, "Well, just." Go do whatever you want to, you know. So that, well, and then and then that same lady, it was, that's been several years ago, she went back into the hospital. I'm not sure why. I'd just come back from out of town. And the husband, and she has five or six children, and all the children except one girl had given the doctor permission to take her off the breathing machine, which was breathing for her, because every time they did, she would stop breathing. And so one girl was holding out. They wouldn't let them, wouldn't let them unplug her mother. And uh, I'll have to admit, my faith, when I saw her, it went down to just about that high. The faith was that high. Mine was that high. I mean, she looked so, so bad. But nevertheless, I honored her with oil, prayed for her, because she was totally unconscious. And a few days, she was home. And she's been out in her garden doing what she wants to until recently. Okay, here's the question. Uh, I've been out of town for five months. I just got back, and um, her 
grandson by marriage came by the house, welcomed me back home. They said I needed to go see my grandmother because the doctor's only given her six months to live. Well, she never has quit smoking during all this time. And, uh, and so Jim and I went over there the other night and laid hands on and prayed for her again. And, and then we knew more about casting out this demon of tobacco and nicotine. And so we did that. And thank goodness we got through. Because then her husband came in the room and he ran us off. I mean, he cursed us out and, and ran us off. Now, these people, neither one, have a dark in the door of a church in 70 years, I guess. Uh, and she keeps getting healed. It's got to be our faith. It can't be any of hers. I mean, she's got a little. I think the lady knows the Lord, but her husband holds her back. I'm just, I guess, I guess I'm going to have to say we're curious as what's going to happen this time since her husband has this authority and he ran us off. Awesome, isn't it? Amazing that how little faith that people have. And but it's the enemy, you gotta realize it's just the devil, you know, that's doing these things. He's trying everything to kill we got somebody else needs Yeah, yeah well I mean, it's not a, there's not a whole lot you can do. I mean, you, as a Christian, you, you can continue to pray for her, and it's definitely your faith that's getting it done. There's no two ways about that. But it would be technically impossible to keep someone like that healed. Because if you go in and they have no faith, and especially, you know, if the man, which is the spiritual authority over that, has no faith, and they're all lost, and they're all speaking the wrong things, They've got the door wide open to the devil. You know, it's just, and you just be bouncing him around. But, you know, you can kick him out and and then you go and they're going to keep living in sin and he's going to come back. So, it's just, it's going, you're going to increase their life a little bit and their quality of life a little bit with your faith. But you won't be able to get those people healed and change them until you learn to go to the third heaven to take authority over the devils that's blinding their mind. See, from the third heaven, that's where Satan is below your feet. And that's where you can walk into the throne of grace, like Hebrews 4.16 says. And when I learned that, I'd try to get people saved or get people healed. And I've had people cuss me out. You know, I've literally walked in and say, Hi, I'm Thurman Scrivener. And he tell me, what's your name? And I said, do you know Jesus? And they said, blankety blank, no. And I don't want to blankety, my boy, whoa, whoa. You know, all this profanity coming. Well, I know that's a devil, see. So I don't even try to talk to people like that. And I said, that's okay. Just give me your name. Well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to take you to the throne of grace. And I'm going to kick this devil out of you and get you healed and get you saved. I don't want nothing to do with that stuff. That's okay. I said, you ain't got nothing to say about it. You know, so I take the Word of God and, and I go to the throne of grace. And when I go, like Hebrews 4.16 says, and when I go to the throne of grace and I kneel there and I worship and praise the King... The devil's under my feet. He has to be subject to me. And then when I found out that uh, not only is there, if there's anybody lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world blinded their mind. Just like that older gentleman. I even, there was a lady, the most profound testimony in that realm that I guess I've ever had was a lady called me one day, just uh, hadn't been a year ago, and said her daddy was 86 and he wasn't in too good a health. 
And she said, my daddy's lost and he's been mean. He's been mistreated my mother and all kinds of things. And, and she said, I went over to my dad and mother's house and tried my best to lead my daddy to Jesus today. And she said, my daddy literally cussed me out and throwed me out of the house. He didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. I, I, she called me crying. I said, well, first thing I want you to do, woman, I want you to drive them tears. I said, because Jesus told me and you to come boldly into the throne of grace. He didn't tell me to bring you in there dragging, bowling, and squalling. He told me to, to me and you to come in there bold as lions. So I said, you know, drive them tears and realize that the king told us what to do. So I said, now then, let's me and you go into the throne of grace. And so we went into the throne of grace, into the third heaven, where we're seated in Christ already. And I praised and worshipped the king for a little while. She's on the phone about three or four hour drive from here. And I'm out here at my ministry center. I started kicking the devil out of her, out of her daddy, demanding him get his hands off, quoting the word of God and everything. And after I demanded Satan stop doing what he's doing and using his spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies and his demons on earth and taking authority over all of them in the name of Jesus, telling them what to do. Then I asked the Father in Jesus' name, just like John 6, 44 says, said, no one can come into the kingdom except to be drawn by the Father. Well, the Father uses the Holy Ghost to draw. So I said, Father, in Jesus' name, send the Holy Ghost that's on earth to begin to convict this man of sin. Draw him into the kingdom. I said, then save him. I said, now send the proper labor into the harvest. The proper labors. You know who that labor is. If it can be his daughter, use her. If it's not her, then you know exactly who it is. But send the proper labor into the harvest to bring that man into the kingdom. And I claim that man's spirit, soul, and body for you and for service under your kingdom forever. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done because it's written in your word. Three weeks later, that man was gloriously saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And that man got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and she called me that day. She was hysterical. Thurman, guess what? I just got that. My daddy's out. My daddy got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost today. All at one time. I mean, she said our vet, he, had owned, he owned several hundred acres of land down there. And she said he's used a veterinarian down there. And said he called him and said, praise God, I got saved today. And he said, that veterinarian, he said, I, I don't believe this. He said, I got to come over there. So said he said he's office, I think it was about uh, 10 or 12 miles from where we live. But she said, I guarantee that veteran was out there. It seemed like in five minutes. Said he come running in the house and said, I got to see you. I can't believe as mean and as wicked as you've been, you really got saved. Well, he come in saved, speaking in tongues every once in a while and everything else. It was an awesome thing. But the old gentleman really did get born again. Well, I mean, what do we not understand? God's Word clearly told us in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. He said, if there's anybody lost on this earth, they're lost because of God of this world, which is Satan has blinded your mind to the truth of the gospel. Well, if 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4 says that Satan has blinded your mind to the gospel... And Luke 10, 19 and 20 says, Behold, I give you power to tread on the serpent and his scorpions, and all powers given to you over him, and him, Satan and his demons, shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the evil spirits have to be subject to you, but rather rejoice, because your name's written in heaven. 
Let me tell you, when I learned I had all power and authority over the devil, and the beast had to be subject to me, and I could kick even Satan himself out when I stepped into the throne of grace, the devil ain't no problem with me no more. I mean, if my king, which is Jesus, whipped him on the cross 2,000 years ago and give me all power and authority over the devil, and he has no power over me unless I walk in sin, you think I'm going to let the devil beat up on me anymore? Absolutely not. I'm going to take the Word of God, I'm going to drive that devil out, and I'm going to walk holy before God. And when I speak in the name of Jesus, I expect my brother Jesus to do what he said he would do. Until you get to the point where you realize it's not you doing nothing when you pray. It's your Jesus. Now, if you think it's you, you can't have faith for very much. But when you realize it's your Jesus, you can have faith for anything. Because it's not you, it's Him. Now, without Him, I can't do nothing. I can't even bat an eyelash. I can't take a breath without the King. But with Him, Christ, this is a mystery that was hidden before the foundation of the world. In Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Colossians 2.4 says, all the secrets of the universe are hidden in Him. If all the secrets of the universe are hidden in Him and He's in you, then where are all the secrets of the universe? In me. In you. What do I got to do? Tap into them. Ask in faith. And He can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can even think or imagine. So until you start thinking like God. See, that's like as Cheryl, my wife, as she took notes and she wrote that song, Sows of Me, Lord, one of the lines in it, is don't think like man, think like God. When we get to where we think like God, then we can speak in His name and He can do mighty miracles. In fact, you know, I walk into a hospital room with somebody on their deathbed with their body swelled up. I've walked in there several times and I look at somebody and I think, Lord, what am I doing in this place? And then all of a sudden the Holy Ghost hits me and he slaps me about twice and he said, you didn't come down here in your power. You come down here in my power. Now get over and do what I told you to do. So then I attacked him in the name of Jesus. I said, it ain't me. That's just like when Dr. Perry Smith come over here and he started listening to my tapes. He come down here from Greenville. And, uh, yeah, Greenville. Yeah, Greenville. And he came down here and he said, Thurman, I've never heard the word taught like you teach it. But he said, I've got a woman by the name of Betty over here in Medical Center, right over here at 75, and said, if God don't intervene this week, that woman's going to be dead. He said, she's already comatose. He said, would you go over there with me after church this afternoon? It was on a Sunday. And pray for her. I said, sure. So I go, he said, they're Baptists. I said, that's okay. That's okay. Don't make no difference to me. So I went with him, went over and met her Baptist husband. I said, are you and her a believer in Jesus? He said, we are. I said, good. I said, you believe God will heal her? He said, if it's God's will, he'll heal her. I said, well, we're going to do a little teaching to you. So I opened James 5, 14, 15, 16. And I said, I want you to see this promise in James 5, 14. James 5, 14, Jesus said, is any sick among you? Now then, when he asked that question, is any sick among you? Who would that include? Well, I mean, that's the way I read that too. Any sick among you? I believe he meant any. Let him... Call for the elders of the church. I said, now, you're, you, you're the husband, and she's comatose, and she's dying, and I'm an elder. 
I said, so it says, let them, or him, call for the elders of the church and have the elders of the church anoint him with oil and pray the prayer of faith, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Every time. That's what the king says. But I said, we've got to believe that. So he said, okay. He said, man, he said, it is God's will to heal my wife, isn't it? I said, hey, you're on the right track. That's, where, that's a good place to start, isn't it? So I walked in. I said, now, do you believe that? you want to ask me to do that and believe it's going to happen? He said, it's, it's, Jesus said it. That's one good thing about Baptists. If you can, they're word people. And if you get the right words in them, they believe God's word when they get in them. They believe it. That's what, they just don't know it. That's the problem with us Baptists, you know. But when you show a Baptist that Jesus said something, they will believe it. And that's praise God. They just don't know it. So anyway, he said, man, that's what it says. I said, well, he meant what he said. So he said, man, let's do it. I said, okay. So he stood at the doorway with Dr. Perry Smith. I walked in there. They stood right there and watched me. I walked up and there was that woman just dead as a doornail as far as I was concerned. She was breathing with a machine, but she was out of it. I just reached up her and put a little oil on her head right there. You know, and I, I said, Lord, I rebuked this devil that's killing this woman in the name of Jesus. Devil, you've got to come out of her. I said, Lord, you told me to anoint her with oil and pray the prayer of faith. I said, you're healed, woman, in the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Lord. I walked over and said, guarantee you I'll be out of here nothing flat. I mean, you got to believe Jesus said, right? He said, the prayer of faith will do what? I mean, what am I going to walk over and say, brother, if it's God's will, he'll bring your wife up if it ain't his will. I ain't going to say that because if I do, I ain't no faith in what I did. I said, guarantee she'll be out of here nothing flat. Sunday, a week later, actually it would be two Sundays later, Dr. Perry Smith came back over here and he said, Thurman, last Monday morning, Miss Betty walked through my office as I gave her a final checkup before she went home. I mean, after all, what did Jesus say he'd do, Larry? I mean, well, I mean, after all, I'm, I'm just simple enough to believe that God meant what he said in his word. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, isn't it, Elaine? Now, if I start trying to rationalize all this stuff, I wonder how he's going to do this. I mean, I want, is God capable of healing that woman? Do you really believe? Maybe he can't do this. Now, when you start rationalizing things, forget it. You might as well just get out of the business. I mean, I don't understand. I do not. Let me tell you something that's so simple we take for granted. Yesterday afternoon, I thought I thought I might like some cereal for breakfast this morning, although I never did eat any. I thought, you know, if I have time in the morning, it'd be nice. So I stopped by the grocery store last night and walked over and got a, a gallon of pure whole milk. Now, I don't like that 1%, 2% junk. I like the stuff like it come out of the cow. I wish I could buy it like we used to get it at home. When you go out there and you grab a hold and you milk that cow and you bring that good old milk in and you take it and set it in the refrigerator and then you got that big old thick layer of cream on top Ooh, with no homogenation, no nothing. That's milk. But you can't buy that stuff hardly nowhere, nowhere. But yesterday I went in there and got that gallon of white milk. I do not understand, and I've been a farmer and a rancher for a lot of years. I do not understand how I can feed a brown cube to a cow. Or she can eat green grass. And one of them can be red. And one of them can be white. And one of them can be black. And every one of them give white milk. And when I stir that stuff up and stretch churn it, it becomes yellow butter. I don't know how in the world all that works. 
But I don't even try to explain it. I just enjoy the benefits knowing that God's the one that done that. So when I go in to lay hands on the sick, I don't try to figure out how it works. Jesus said, go in, cast the devil out of them, lay hands on them, and I'll heal them. So I just believe it's done. I just, how did you do that? Simple, by faith. I just did it. Jesus said it, that's good enough for me. I mean, don't you know that that little girl's brain stem severed? I don't make no difference to me. What's severed? Jesus told me, if I'd stay in his word, I could ask the king for anything and he'd do it. And that's what he said. I'm just simple enough to believe the king meant it. Well, don't you know that she hadn't changed a bit since you prayed over her? I said, what you can see don't mean nothing to me. It's written in the word. And so, 30 days later, she's moving around. She don't have no marks on her face, nothing. But over a period of time, my little grandbaby has become totally, completely normal. Back in school, they said it is impossible. Well, I don't know. I just kind of think that's when God does His best work. When we think it's impossible. And at least one thing about it, whenever the doctors say it's definitely impossible, and today she's running and playing, there ain't no doubt in nobody's mind that the God I'm talking to is real. Right, Larry? He's real. So that's all I can say is praise God, Jesus is real. And He is there, and if you'll believe Him like I do... He will heal you. He will deliver you. You can walk in divine health. But He is a faith God. And if you don't believe Him by faith and diligently get in His Word, He won't do it for you. Now, this is something that what I'm fixing to tell you right now, this is what has brought sickness and disease upon so many people in the church. We've not believed the king when he said, I am a jealous God. You were to put no other gods before me. And somebody said, well, okay then, Lord, I'll go to church every Sunday, and I'll even tithe. Okay, so you go to church on Sunday. Well, now, what do you do Monday morning? Well, gee, I get up and go to work. Did you thank to praise Him when you woke up this morning? Well, no, I did that in church yesterday, Thurman. Well, did did you pray over your breakfast? Well, well, no, I didn't pray over my breakfast. Did you drink a, a drink of water during the day? Yeah, did you pray over it? Did you thank God for it? Well, no. I mean, I prayed at church Sunday. Give me a break. See, and I used to think that's what you were supposed to do until I had this man one time many years ago that was a Christian. Went to church every Sunday, was a tither, him and his wife both, and then at 42 years old, he's on his deathbed with terminal cancer. And I thought, Lord, this don't make no sense. This man goes to church. He ties. I see him in Sunday school and worship service and Sunday night every Sunday. And even once in a while, once in a while, he's even there on Wednesday night. In other words, this guy ain't normal. You know, normal Christians, normal Christians come to church on Sunday morning. Above normal come to Bible study in the morning and church and Sunday evening. Them's, them's radical Christians. <laughs> But when they show up on Wednesday night too, they're super radical. But not for God. That's not even close to where He wants you. You didn't talk to Him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Might have it Thursday night, Wednesday night uh, Bible study or whatever. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, your own deal. And then, oh, Sunday morning, time to go to church again. Well, let me tell you. This is the closest. When I found it, when that man was dying on his deathbed, 
and I found out what his problem was. And it was because he didn't put God first. God showed me in his work, spoke to us, told us what this man's problem was. And it was because he didn't put him first. And he was a jealous God. And he clearly said, now in the NIV, that was the one he was reading tonight in Psalms 106, verse 15, when he'd come to it, because you forgot who I am. Because you've not done what I told you to do. I have sent a wasting disease to destroy you. But in the, in the King James, he says, I've sent leanness of soul unto your body. But in the NIV, it literally, and that's the translation we were reading the night God gave us the revelation. I have sent a wasting disease to destroy you. This man had stage four lymphoma, terminal cancer in every organ of his body. And right there, it became a reality to me. God, when you said you're a jealous God, you meant that. Now, let me put that to you, guys and girls, where you can understand it from a physical standpoint. A man accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior on Sunday at church. He don't come back to talk to him until the next Sunday. Or maybe it's two or three weeks before he comes back. And then maybe he goes... Once a month. And you want to know why bad things happen. Well, let me give you an example. Guys, you go out and find you a beautiful lady, the love of your life. You court her for six months or a year or two or three or whatever. And you think, this is the woman I want to be the bride to live with me the rest of my life. You ask her to marry you. She accepts. She loves you. You get married. You carry her across the threshold. You carry her into your home or your apartment or whatever you're, wherever you're going to reside. And you spend the honeymoon night with your bride. And then the next morning you get up and say, Hey, honey, I've got to run down to the office. I've got a few things I've got to do. And about three weeks later, you finally call her and say, You know, I've got a little tied up down here at the office. Uh, oh, you don't think so? I mean, wouldn't you still be there waiting with a hot breakfast ready for him when he come in three weeks later if you ain't even, he ain't even called? Oh, probably not. There's something wrong with this picture, isn't there? What do you think? You think that maybe we might be just a little jealous too? When you married that guy, you expected him to be around a little more than that, at least for the honeymoon week, didn't you? Absolutely. And see, that's the way we do God. And so since we do God like that, and we step outside from His protective covering, guess who's out there in the world? The devil. Now, God didn't leave. We did. So when we went out there in the world playing with the devil, the devil, he does what? Steals, kills, and destroys. And so when you and me are out there, now then, if you come back to Jesus every day, you wake up with Jesus every day, you go to bed with Jesus every day. I mean, you say, Lord, it's time to go to work. Get in my car with me. Let's go to work. And you go to work with Jesus. And you walk into your workplace talking about Jesus. And you say, Lord, now it's time to go to the drinking fountain and have a drink. Lord, bless this water. I'm fixing a drink in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you. Now it's time to go up to the cafeteria and have a bite to eat. And Lord, I don't care if all these people are sitting around or what. I'm going to sit here. And ask you to bless this in the name of Jesus. Ask you to bless this tea I'm fixing to drink in the name of Jesus. And Lord, ask you to bless this main course right now in the name of Jesus. 
and you eat up and everything. And then the girl comes by and says, can I refill your tea? And you say, certainly. And she pours it in there and he said, Father, in Jesus' name, bless that refill in the name of Jesus. And they said, man, you're a fanatic. I said, yeah, but it sure does pay good dividends. There's no sickness and disease. I take Jesus everywhere I go. I pray over everything I do. And let me tell you, when I learned that 20 years ago, and I had one single sick minute in 20 years, I'm going to tell you, I learned something working. Guess what? I'm not going to change. I'm not changing what I've learned. The only thing I want to do is get closer to the King. Now, I thought I was close to Him. I loved Him. I went to church. I served Him. I tithed. I'd done all those things. But for 45 years of my life, I got beat up on. I was down in my back a half a dozen times. I had double pneumonia. I sprung a hernia on myself once. I'd done, I had the flu at least once or twice a year. And a cold at least once or twice a year. I mean, everybody gets sick, they tell me. And I thought, that's normal. I didn't think I had any power over sickness and disease until I began to read the book. When I began to read the book, I learned sickness and disease come from the devil. And I got power over him. I don't have to put up with that beast. So when he tries to come and put sickness and disease upon me, I take the Word of God and I drive him out. And when I drive him out in the name of Jesus, whoo! In fact, I, I was out there in uh, Amarillo and the pastor of the church that first night. Of course, I'd preached all afternoon, ministered to people till 11 o'clock. And then, of course, he's sitting down. We went to have something to eat. Everybody went with us that first night. A couple, even other couples went with us that first night. We went and we had a meal up there. And finally, the pastor looked at his watch. He said, you know we're sinning. I said, how's that? He said, you realize it's 1230 in the morning? I said, well, what's that got to do with sin? He said, anybody stays out after midnight has got to be sinning. He said, i got to go home. i got to get some rest. I said, oh, Okay. So we all got up and left, and Cheryl and I went, and we prayed and talked about things until 4 o'clock in the morning. 4 a.m. And then we went to bed. And then that morning later, I got up, and I worshipped and praised the king, and we went and done some things. We went all over the place, and we'd done a whole bunch of things, and I went back after that evening. We preached again until about midnight. We finally got away from there, and I said, we're going to go over to IHOP and have something to eat. Anybody going with us? They said, no, you guys stay out too late for us. Nobody went with us. We went to the restaurant by ourselves, and I told her when we got out, so I said, you know, honey, I'd hold up Brother Set across the table from you and anybody else I'd know. And so we had a great evening meal there, and then we went, and we prayed and talked to the Lord until about 2.30 in the morning. And then, the, and then I woke up the next morning and I prayed and worshipped and praised God and never opened the curtain or never turned a light on in our room till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I was on my face before God. And that evening, a man called and wanted to take, he wanted us to go to dinner with him at 5 o'clock. I said, okay. So we met at 5 o'clock and we was having dinner. He said, if you all come back out here again, we would love to have you stay in our home. I said, sir, I appreciate that. But I can't do that. He said, why? I said, because if I'm in your home, I said, you may be up at 8 o'clock knocking on my door saying breakfast is ready. And I said, I may be worshiping and praising the king. And I said, I keep a grueling schedule. I said, sometimes I'm up till 2, 3, or 4 in the morning worshiping the king. And then I said, I told Cheryl when we got married, I said, honey, you've got to be able, if it's 4 o'clock in the morning, I'll reach over and punch you in the side. 
and say it's time to fall off on the floor and pray for an hour, I don't expect any back talk. Just fall off on the floor with me. I said, it would take a special woman to live with me. A special woman. But she never complains. Never complains. And the other morning when we lay there and, and I'm praying and everything, she finally wakes up about 11. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. She said, what time is it? I said, I don't know. So I looked and I said, oh, it's only 11. She said, we going to go with some deed? I said, no, not yet. She said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to pray. I'm, I want to see God do something. And so we prayed and worshipped. And finally she said, what time is it now? I said, I looked and I said, oh, it's three. She said, are we going to go eat with those people? I said, yeah. But we still got two hours. So I said, that's not a problem. See, I didn't, I didn't turn a light on. It's just a light under the door. The only way I could see my watch. And then when we finally did get up and open and took a quick shower and everything, started to walk out, the lady said, oh, Y'all had the privacy sign on your door, so I didn't knock on the door or nothing. Do y'all want your room made up? I said, yes. She said, well, it's only it's five minutes till five. She said, we normally leave at five. I said, that's fine. If you make it up, fine. If you can't, that's okay. It'll make no difference to me. She said, we'll do it for you. I said, no problem. No problem. If you don't get it done, no big deal. She said, wow, you must have slept a long time. I said, no, I didn't sleep much at all. I was on my face praying. You want to see God do something? You know what it means to put the king first? Hey, that's what he means. If you want to see, if you want to walk in divine health, you have to put him first. Is it costly? Yes, it is. It's definitely not easy. Now, if I could totally put God first in everything I did, which I have not reached that point yet, but if I could, that's when these promises that He makes us that says you can ask for anything, anytime you want to, and it will happen. I, I want to get there. I don't know what I've got to do, but I am seeking the Lord and asking Him, Lord, what is it and where am I lacking in my life to, for the, because I'm not seeing the magnificence of the miracles that I want to see. I know it's me. It's not you. It's got to be me. I know another man that did that, and that man went before God, and he stayed on his face, locked up in a closet for days. And when the Lord finally spoke to him, he gave him 13 things he needed to change. He could not believe there were so many things. There was a couple of personal sins he had in his life. The Lord says, until you change those, my power will not flow through your ministry. And so it took him several years to change everything and to meet all the criteria that was already laid out in the Word of God. It was all there. I've read everything God told that man to do. He wrote it down. And I have a copy of it. And I know what He told him to do. And I'm trying my best to meet all of that criteria. But my, the miracles in my ministry has not nowhere close to come to where this man did. But I know God's no respecter of persons. So when I meet that requirement, and that's why I'm trying my best to walk so holy and spend so much time with God. Because, you see these two little children over here? I don't know, where are you all from, sir? Kansas City. They've driven down here from Kansas City with these two babies that's got this problem. I want to get to the point 
But when I pray over children like this, I want to see them instantly delivered. I know that's available. I have seen it in different ministries. There's not many today that see these kind of miracles. But I want to see this happen. But I'm able to teach them what will bring this into existence. But I want to see these things happen instantly. And that means a problem with me. So, but if I can teach them what to do and how to take God's Word, we can say, just like this woman that gave the... Uh, I, I said that was the first child I'd seen autistically healed. I take that back. That's the second one. I spoke over an autistic child about six or seven years ago, and it took five months. I prayed over that child. I told that mother what to do and what to say. And I don't know how many times I prayed over that child. And she started speaking. And he was five years old. And he couldn't speak a word as an autistic child. And five months later, and it was on January the 1st, New Year's Day, I was at home. I was, had taken the day off as an engineer. I was at home with my family. And the phone rang. And it was that mother. And she said, you remember five months ago when you came down to Arlington? And you prayed over us, and all the times you prayed over us with my autistic son, and you told me what to say, and I've been doing it. She said, let me tell you, today my son started speaking normal today. It was January the 1st. It took five months for that boy to talk. But see, I don't want to take five months for it to happen. So what's wrong with us in the church? It's our lack of faith. We don't have it. You know, we, we don't fast and pray enough. That's why Cheryl and I just come off of an 18-day fast just a few days ago. Because I want to, I want to see God and I want, to, I want these miracles that He's talking about in His Word, which He says we can do, I want to see them happen. And some people say, but Thurman, you've seen hundreds and thousands of miracles. Yeah, I have, but it's not near what I want to see. You know, I've had many people say, man, if I could walk where you're walking, I'd be so happy. Well, hey, I'm not. I'm not happy with where I am. You understand where I'm coming from? I want to go further because I know that the God we serve can do so greatly above anything I can think or imagine. But I know the problem's with us. It's not with Him. The church is not walking holy. And another thing, the people around you have an effect upon your faith. Yeah? I mean, it's all over the Word. Jesus, when He started to do awesome miracles, He always put out all the unbelievers. Unbelief is running rampant. And I believe, again, that's why we see so many miracles in this church, because I teach faith, and the people here come here expecting. You know, they come expecting. So when you come expecting, you get to see God do wonderful things. He says, when, he's, when, when we're doing these things, he, after, just like in Mark 11, we talked about a while ago, if we believe, we shall have whatever we say. I mean, that is a powerful statement. Whatever we say, if we say it in faith, we'll have it. No limitations. And then look at what he says there in the next verse 25. He tells us in verse 25 of Mark 11 why these mighty promises, or at least one of the reasons, these things will not work for us. He says, but when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any that your Father, also which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses, in verse 26, but says, If you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. So if you have any kind of unforgiveness toward anyone, anywhere, that will open the door to the demonic world, 
And Satan has legal right to come in and torment you and your family. And there's so many people that do not understand that. They will hold a grudge. There was a lady up here just a while ago telling me about at the break that uh, she knew of a family, or maybe she was a family member of that family. I don't remember which way it was. But there was a mother or a father or something that had a lot of money in their home for the children. And they all the two or three or four children, what it was, knew that this money was there in the home for these children. And when the parent died, one of the children came in and got the money. And when they did, then guess what that did to the other children? I mean, immediately, there is a problem now. And now then we're walking in unforgiveness. And now then you start talking evil about somebody and what they was saying there that one of the brothers had was sitting at home doing something and one of the other brothers or sisters called and he talked evil about his sister and immediately after he sat down his blood pressure went through the roof and had to haul him off to the hospital. That's why somebody said, I want to know where that scripture was in 1 Peter 3.10 you talked about a while ago. Now see, who would ever dream that a man could be sitting there normal and start talking evil about his sister, although she'd done something wrong? He's got a grudge, and he starts talking evil about her and sits down, his blood pressure goes through the roof, and they've got to haul him off to the hospital, and maybe he has an aneurysm and busts a blood vessel, and he dies, all because he's talking evil about his sister. Does he have a reason to talk evil about his sister? Technically, it looks like he does. But if you talk evil about your sister, the Lord says, turn them over to him that judges righteously. So you turn them over to the Lord and say, Lord, they're your child. Or, you know, I ain't my problem. I ain't going to mess with it. I ain't touching this with a ten-foot pole. I'm going to let you have it. And therefore, I can sit down and eat my supper and I don't have no high blood pressure. I don't have to sweat it. Well, see, that's just like uh, another guy told me a story one time. He said there was a, one of his brothers had, a, had his own business. He had more money than he knew what to do with. He owned a factory, and he was making thousands of dollars a day, and he went out and bought him a brand-new Cadillac. And this thing was like a $30,000 car back in those days. He said, my brother was perfectly healthy. And he said he went out, and a young teenager, his first trip, from his factory back home, a young teenager run inside that brand new Cadillac and just wiped it out. He said, my brother jumped out of that car. He began to scream at that young man and read that young man the riot act. And he said, my brother had a heart attack right there beside that car and fell dead on the ground. Now what's all his money going to do for him? Nothing. Was that stupid little car worth a few thousand dollars to a man that had his own business that could have paid cash for that thing? Was that anything to be concerned about? No. But you see how we idolize things on this earth? And yet a human being is far more important than a few thousand dollars worth of a piece of car because in a few years that thing's going to be in a junk heap anyway. And we fight and squabble and cost ourselves our health trying to fight over little dinky things. Too many people do it. We open the door to the devil. And the Lord tells us in His Word what to do and what not to do. And the average person in the church today has no knowledge of these great principles. No knowledge. Fools 
Jesus told us in, I believe it's Psalm 107, verse 17. He said, fools, because of their iniquities, are afflicted. He calls us fools. I believe that's Psalm 107, 17, I think. But I'm not sure. Somebody might look that up for me right quick and see. I hate to be wrong. Is that what it says? That's what it says. Okay. So see, whenever you do these things and, and you get off into these iniquities, you're afflicted. Now, who is it that afflicts you? The devil. He comes in. Isn't it amazing that you can have a man sitting there with a perfect, normal heartbeat, 130 or 120 over 70 and everything's perfect, and your sister calls and you get through talking with her and you're all upset and you sit down and your blood pressure goes through the roof. What caused that? An evil spirit, when you got into anger and rage, it caused everything in your body to be messed up and it can even cost you your life. Don't go there. Ain't nothing worth it, is it? Not to me it's not. I mean, a hospital stay? A man was telling me the other day that he had, I forget, his wife had a problem, took her down to the hospital. And I forget what they did, but he was in the hospital three days and it cost them $37,000 for three days. Of course, I know y'all are just like me. It only takes you a couple of days to make that kind of money, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, a couple of years it is. Oh, I've got the numbers there kind of out of sequence, didn't I? But isn't that amazing? And then they tell me hospitals are from the doc, from the Lord. I'm going to tell you, when you go down to that hospital and they do a surgery on you, a doctor does a surgery on you, and they take, well, an open-heart surgery, the average open-heart surgery they can do in a matter of just a couple hours now with a team of doctors. And the average minimum open-heart surgery costs you two hundred dollars to $500,000. That sounds like God? Not to me. The king that I serve, when he heals you, you know what he charges you? Nothing. Isn't that awesome? Free. It, didn't, it cost him a lot. It cost him tremendously. There's never been a human being could have taken the beating our king took. So that you could be healed. But he did. And he did that for me. When I think about what our king bore for me, I guarantee I am never going to let that devil get me off into sin and deceit. And he's never going to make me sick again. I'm going to fight the battles of faith. I'm going to do it. I mean, I I get so upset at that beast when I think about what he does to us today. And how long he did that to me. When Jesus made me all these promises. And what did he say I got to do to make all these promises work? Walk holy. Walk holy and believe. That's all I've got to do. Look at John ten twenty five. Jesus answered him and said, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Now, Jesus is doing all kinds of miracles today, and still many do not believe. Many do not believe. All you have to do is to receive from God, is to believe. He made us the promises. Look at Mark 4.40. This was when they were out there on the ship. The storm was up. Now, who, who is it that generates these storms? 
The devil. Of course it's the devil. It's the God of this world. It's not the Father in heaven. When people say, well, that was an act of God that just wiped away Florida. It was an act of God. But what God? The God of this world. Satan. God the Father does not do those kinds of things. But the devil does it because of legal right, because of sin. That's what brings the judgments upon us. He knows that we're living in sin, so he knows his legal right. And if there's ever been a legalist on the face of this earth, it's Satan and his host. When he learns he's got legal right to you through sin, and he knows that already. He knows this book extremely well. So when you and I sin, in whatever realm it is, he knows exactly where we miss it, and he sends the exact right demon to attack us in that realm. And he makes us sick, and he takes us out, and he kills us prematurely on a regular basis. But if we walk holy before him, in fact, the Pharisees, you know, I've told a lot of people have a lot of problem getting people to repent of their sins and believe God for healing. But, you know, to walk in divine health is even another step. But if you go to the step where Jesus, Jesus two times in the book of John made two statements that are so awesome that if you were to think about these, you gotta, you got you gotta really think like God. Because the Pharisees told him, said he has a demon and he's crazy. But Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. To anyone that keeps all of my commandments and do what I tell you, that man shall never die. He said, you shall never see death. People said, Thurman, that, that couldn't mean, that's got to be spiritual death. I said, no, he was talking about physical death. He said, but you shall never die. The Pharisee said, he's got a demon, he's crazy. Well, if you can't believe, now just think, Abraham, you know, the average, average man today and average woman today, when we get past 40 or 50, we think it's too late. We can't go nowhere. Can't do nothing after 40 or 50. People say, man, if you're going to get married and have children, better do it before 40. You know, because you if you have a child after you're 40, you'll have a Down syndrome child or something. Don't never, don't dare have a child after 40. How old was Sarah and Abraham when they had Isaac? About 100, you know. And then after, after Sarah died at 127, Abraham married again, and he lived to be 175, and he brought many more children into the world. The average man said, well, good grief, I'm 60 years old. I'm too old to have sex anymore. I hear people say that. You know? In fact, I had a guy down the seminary here a while back. He was talking to a man there, and the guy was 80 years old. These young guys, you know, they, they were, we think wrong. He said, Brother so-and-so, how old do you have to be before you can't enjoy sex with your wife anymore? He said, well, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, well, sir, aren't you 80? He said, yeah. He said, well, how old do you have to be? He said, well, like I told you, I don't know. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I still enjoy having sex with my wife. He said, you mean you still do it, 80? He said, well, of course. Now, see, it all depends on where you live and what you think. The average man today, when he gets past 50, he's too old. You, just, you, you don't know the people I minister to that's 50 years old and living in a home, and they ain't had sex in five or ten years. Christians. You just don't know what I deal with as a pastor. 
I'm telling you. Well, but Thurman, I mean, I'm too old. In fact, I had a man, tell you all this, I had a man come to me the other day. Him and his wife both come to Cheryl and I both. And they were talking about some of the problems they were having. And one of the problems they were having was there had been no sexual relationship in the home for many years. And he said, I'm too old. I said, as long as you think like that, you're too old. His wife said, well, I'm not too old. And I would love to have a relationship with my husband, but he won't. And I said, you're going to have to stop thinking like a man and start believing like God. And I said, if you will, I said, Abraham was 175 and he was still bringing children into the world when he died. I said, so you can, if you will believe God. I said, now I want you and your wife right here to kneel and pray and ask God to forgive both of you for thinking like men and women. And then I want you to start saying we will have an intimate relationship. His wife wanted to have a relationship. He hadn't touched her in years. Three Sundays later, that man walked up to me and said to me, i got to tell you, it works. He said, this morning, this morning, my wife and I had our first intimate relationship in almost ten years. Isn't that amazing? What did Jesus say you can do if you believe? All things? Hey, I don't know about you, but I believe the King. I believe the King. I believe the King. If the King didn't mean that I can do all things, He shouldn't have told me I could do all things. Because I believe I can do all things. Yeah. See, I can... I mean, the other day I was out there at the gym and there's a guy out there who's only five years older than me. He was sitting there trying to work out at Tim's gym. I'm running through there. I, I slapped him on the back. I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, God, Dermot, I'm wore out. I'm so old and wore I said, that's what's wrong with you. You speak it. I said, you've been old and wore out for the last 25 years. <laughs> He's only five years older than me. He said, well, I don't know how you do what you do. I said, I learned how to talk. That's what I did. I learned how to speak God's Word. He said, I just don't see how you run around here and do all the stuff you do. He said, I can't do these things. I said, that's why you can't. It's because you just said, I can't. You see where I'm coming from? What did Jesus say you could do? All things. Start thinking like God. Lord, I can do all things. In fact, the other day, I was listening to a man that knows this man that I'm going to tell you personally. And he got a hold of these things, and he was 60, and his wife was 58, I believe was their age. And his wife had been through menopause when she was about 45. And technically, from the world standpoint, it was impossible for her to bear a child. He began to get a hold of God's promises, and they wanted another son. He spoke over his wife's body, called her body back into normal... And they got a brand new baby son. It's theirs, and he's perfectly normal. And she was 58 years old when that when she conceived that baby, and was 58 years old when she brought that nine-month-old baby boy into the world. And he spoke over her body. They both wanted a child, and he started taking God's word and speaking. And he brought that woman's body back, and she began to go through the normal cycles 
And she brought a baby into the world at 58 years of age. What did Jesus say we could do? Now see, you've got to think like God, haven't you? But see, what did Jesus say we could do about healing? He said, speak to our mountain, command it to leave, walk holy before me, and I will heal you. Did he say it would be easy? No, he didn't say it would be easy. But he said, you've got to stay with it. You've got to stay with it. If you stay with it and believe, we as Christians have been so deceived by the devil. We have learnt, been taught to think like the world. Oh, goodness, I'm old and I can't do this no more. I just can't wait till I'm 62 so I can retire. I mean, I hear people that are Christians talking like that. Oh, I hate to get up and go to work. I only got two years left. I'm 60 years old and I just can't fight it no more. Oh, goodness, Thurman. I'll be so, oh, I just got this pain here. And I got this, I get my daddy had arthritis. I'll probably have it too. Everything's wrong. Do you have to live there as a Christian? Only if you want to. I mean, I have people coming up that are Christians with a list of what's wrong with them. I said, ma'am, all you got to do is believe God. He said, well, number Thurman. I said, no, 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 Jesus said. Now, these are promises from the Lord. I mean, if Jesus said, speak to your mountain, it will be removed. What are we going to do? I'm going to speak to my mountain. If I want to, if, if the Lord says, if the Lord says it in Psalm 103, forget not all my benefits. I forgive part of your iniquities. Oh, good grief, I can't even lie to y'all. See, you got. I forgive all of your iniquities. I heal how many of your diseases? All. Oh, you got to disclaim that, Lord. I repent. You heal all of my diseases. You save me from the destruction. You satisfy my mouth daily with good things. And you renew my youth. Wow, daily like the eagles. Well, let me tell you, when I got a hold of that one, I found the fountain of youth. You know where I'm coming from. That's the good one. Now then, instead of saying, well, good grief, I'm old and decrepit and can't do nothing, I said, if he renews my youth daily like the eagles, then I'm getting younger every day. In fact, when I was preaching out in uh, Amarillo the other day, I went through that and I said, I am literally getting younger every day. I can do more today than I could when I was before. <laughs> and somebody looked over at Cheryl and she said, he's right, I can't even begin to keep up with him. <laughs> she said he can get by on four or five hours worth of sleep. She said, I can't do that. Said he can do things and run and go and outdo anything I can do. She said, now I know why God gave me, uh, gave him me a, a little bit younger woman because said, said he acts like a 14-year-old. Said he's running and going 90 miles an hour all the time. I said, well, aren't you about that same age? She said, well, yeah, maybe just a little older than 14. <laughs> but see, when you start thinking like God, you don't put any limitations on what you can do. You don't realize what you're doing with your tongue. You start saying, you know, I just don't love my wife as much as I used to. Or I don't love my husband as much as I used to. As you begin to say that, guess what happens? That's what happens. You know, you wake up in the morning, 
First thing you need to do is tell your mate, I love you. Wow. Do I love you? Wow, are you beautiful. See, when you do that all the time, your mate gets where they expect that. Like the other day when we was out there in Amarillo, you know, Cheryl gets up and she puts on this beautiful outfit. I mean, I, I bought her some beautiful clothes. We got married. I dressed her up. I sent her down to Neiman Marcus and I put some clothes on that woman. I mean, I fixed her up. She's a beauty queen. So, I mean, I want my woman to be beautiful. So, she's got all these beautiful clothes that she won't even let me. She carries them in a hanging bag. She won't even let me fold them when I put them on an airplane. She don't want a wrinkle in them. The other morning she got up, she put on this beautiful outfit, and she walked over there and she says, Well? And I looked at her and I said, Well, what, honey? She said, You don't have it together this morning. I said, Did I do something wrong? She said, Very wrong. I said, Oh, what have I done wrong? I mean, I was in the Word, I was trying to get ready to preach, see. She said, you really don't have it together this morning. I stopped and I said, Lord, what did I do wrong? And then I looked at her and she says, and then I knew what I'd done wrong. I said, oh, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. She said, now you've got it back together. See, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, girl, you love it, don't you? See, when you get used to telling your mate that every day, they expect to hear that every day especially when they get all dressed up looking really pretty. Now see, that's the same way it is with you and me and God. See, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you need to do, if you want to walk in divine health and you want God to answer your prayer, the first thing you do, you wake up and you say, Lord, I'm going to tell you how much I love you this morning. I'm going to tell you how much I appreciate these mighty promises you put in here for me. Lord, I want to thank you how much, I'm going to tell you how much I thank you that you're my Savior. I want to thank you for, for how greatly appreciative I am that you're my healer. I want to thank you, Lord, that you have been given all power in heaven and earth, and you put that power in me. You told me I can say anything I want to. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for opening my blind eyes in the name of Jesus. I want to thank you for healing my babies in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're your sons and daughters, and we've got these two babies that the devil's attacked. And in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for making these two babies totally, completely, not normal, supernatural normal. That's what I want to thank you for. I want to worship you and praise you. You've got children. You should never lay your hands on your children and say, just thank you, Lord, for these healthy kids. Just like when my daughter was going to have her baby, Caitlin, that time, she said, Daddy, I'm pregnant and I've asked God to give me a healthy baby. I said, and anything else? Well, well, no, Daddy. What do you mean? I want a healthy baby. I said, good grief, honey. He's a faith God and he's a big God. I said, you won't tell him you want a beautiful one, a healthy one, and an intelligent one. That's what you want. You want a beautiful little girl, a healthy one, an intelligent one, not just normal. Now, some of you all may have heard this story about what you can do by faith through spoken words. But I heard this woman and her son on the James Dodson show here several years ago, and this woman was 48 years old, and she conceived a son. Wasn't planned at her age, but she got pregnant. And whenever she began to tell her friends, I'm pregnant, looks like we're going to have another baby. 
They all said, oh my goodness gracious, at your age, have an abortion. She said, what are you talking about? A kill? A baby? No! Some of her Christian friends told her to have an abortion. She'd have a Down syndrome baby at her age. She said, absolutely not. I will not kill this baby under no condition. If God's going to give me a baby at 48 years old, whatever He gives me, I'm going to raise it and love it, and I'm going to, I'm going to just absolutely do the best I can with this baby. And it's amazing how many people in the church came against her. Yeah. You don't understand. We don't understand how dead the church is to the things of God. This woman really got up. She said, no, I'm going to have this baby. And she said, I don't know what God's going to do with this baby. But said, I don't care what happens. I'm going to raise this baby to the best of my ability. And everybody come against her. Nearly everybody. I mean, nearly everybody wanted her to have an abortion. And she said, no. They said, what if this child's not normal? She said, I don't care. I'm going to have this baby. She said, I had the baby. It was a boy. Said he looked to be perfect. But she said, when he got a year old, he began to do some things, and I thought, he ain't going to be normal. But she said, when he got two years old, I knew he was not going to be normal. And by the time he was four years old, he was so not normal. I thought, what am I going to do with this boy? But she said, when he was 14, and he graduated from Harvard with a (laughs) 4.0, And now he's 18 and has his own law firm in Miami with four lawyers. He said, I'm telling you, he's not normal. (laughs) They were on James Dodson's show, and it was a tape made of that. And he was there, and Dr. Dodson said, you know, you're definitely not normal. He said, well, but, you know, he said, I'm just 18, and I still love to go out and play ball with the guys and everything. But he said, you know, God has given me a few supernatural gifts. Graduate from Harvard at 14 with a 4.0? That ain't bad, is it? Not at all. I'd take that kind of a... I'd take that... And you see what God will do when all the Christian world come against her. Tried to get her to abort that baby. God, I can just see God in heaven and say, You know, I finally got one of my little daughters down there that believe I can do something at 48. You know, so I'll just show them what I can do with this boy. You know, just a little. I won't go too far. You know, just a little, you know. But see, that's God. Just a little. See, but if you just believe Him and have no doubt in your heart, I mean, can you only imagine? Of course, she began to tell us. I didn't want to tell you because I couldn't remember, but she's talking like at four, how he's reading at, you know, 10th grade levels and, and at six he's doing calculus and all the kind of stuff he's doing and everything. She's telling what he could do. That's when she said, I knew he was not going to be normal. And you know, we pray over our children and ask them to be normal. I think it's time we forget this normal stuff. Don't you? Let's start praying and asking God to do something he's capable of. You know, we don't want our children to be normal. We want them to be supernatural. You don't want to be normal. You want to be supernatural. With these kind of promises, ask anything in my name and I'll do it for you. You can have anything you say with your mouth. Lord, look at this. God's in that thing right there. There ain't nothing you and me can't do together, Lord. I mean, with all the secrets of the universe hidden in me today, Lord, and you said ask anything and you'll do it, Father, in the name of Jesus, let me go out and attack the world today unless you and me do something that will bring glory and honor to your name, Lord. Let's go do it. 
Let's go out there and lead people to Jesus. Let's go out there and heal the sick. Let's cleanse the lepers. Let's raise the dead. Let's do something that will bring glory and honor to your name. See, when you start doing that, just like that, you hear that little lady a while ago, that down at the bottom of the stairs, that little lady was in pain, and she just stopped and said, I believe Jesus will heal you, and prayed that prayer, and what she, what happened? Does that make life exciting? Can you imagine Jesus being at the foot of them stairs with a little lady like her just walking down the stairs? And He'll show up to, when you do something in faith. See, when we start doing what Pat done, you'll start seeing God show up and He'll do wonderful things for you. But the average Christian today, we've been so steeped in religion that we never think about praying for nobody out there in the world. But we start doing something in faith, guess who shows up to do miracles for you? The King of the universe. Now see, I started doing those same things just like Pat did in my workplace years ago and started seeing God do things. In fact, I've, many a time I've prayed over people, I've taken the Word of God, I've spoken it. Now, hide it in your heart. You've got to have the Word. When you've got the Word and you speak it and you're walking in obedience to the Word, you'll get to see God do some of the most awesome things you can imagine. I mean, it'll be according to your faith. But after you get to where you can speak over someone, you woke up, somebody's got a broke leg or something. And in the airport or whatever, say, can I pray for you? You know? Can, can you pray for me? Yeah, Jesus said right here. He told me to lay hands on the sick and He'll heal them. Mark sixteen eighteen. Lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. Can I do that for you? And He said, I believe with all my heart Jesus will heal you. And some people think you're crazy. You know, and you'll do what Pat did and then the lady will take a step and she'll say, Oh my goodness, my pain's gone. And doesn't that make life exciting when you start seeing things like that? Don't you think it's time we as the church starts doing those kind of things? Well, we've got to get healed first, don't we? We've got to get healed. We've got to get this knowledge in us. And we've got to start believing God for these mighty things. When we do this, we're going to start seeing the king do wonderful things. Wow. It's already 5 o'clock. I can't believe that I've started at 1 and it's already 5. We have just barely scratched the surface on the word of God today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we've been through another day of healing school. Lord, the healing promises in Your Word are limitless. Lord, we could go for years in Your Word and never cover all of Your promises that come to healing and deliverance and and the power You've given us on this earth as Your children. Lord, help us to stop thinking like men and start thinking like God, realizing that You're the one that does everything. All we've got to do is speak it in faith and You make it come to pass. You're the King of the universe. You're our Lord. You're our God. You're our healer, our Savior, our deliverer, our provider. And Lord, we trust you for everything. And today we want to thank you for this privilege to come and have another healing school to talk about your mighty word. And now, Lord, to see you heal those that are sick and afflicted, to open blind eyes and to do everything and anything. Lord, you made us the promises. You're the one going to do it. And we're just going to speak in faith. And Lord, as people come forth today, I ask you to move by the power of your Spirit, and everything that happens is going to be you, but we're going to speak in faith over every one of them. And Lord, as other people in this place will pray for people, we have some tremendous powerful prayer warriors in here. Just like Pat, she prayed over the lady at the bottom of the stairs and you healed her. So Lord, Pat can pray over people in this place. Her husband Wally is a great prayer warrior. We've got many prayer warriors in this place. And you don't have to have me pray for you. Jesus is the healer. 
But we will meet you. We will pray for you. We will do whatever we can. And we'll be here as long as it takes to meet your request, to pray over you, and do whatever the Lord wants us to do. Now, Father, we turn this whole thing over to you, and we ask you to heal and deliver your people as they come forth, as we pray over them. And we want to thank you and praise you for one more day to be in your word. And we worship you for the word and for all the things you do today. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. Amen.